can't see this. I am absolutely Yeah, I know. I I wish I had Recording in progress. Yeah. 
Good morning, everyone. I'd like to call the meeting to order Marin County Board of Supervisors, and I'd like the clerk to do the roll call, please. Supervisor Lucan. Here. Supervisor Rice. Here. Supervisor Moda Peters. Here. Supervisor Sackett. Here. President Bordoni. Present. We have the video uh, invite, please, for those wishing to participate. from questioning others' character or motives. Thank you. Now you will hear the instructions in Spanish. Bienvenidos a la reunión de la Junta de Supervisores del Condado de Marin. Esta reunión ofrece la oportunidad a todos de participar en persona o a través de Zoom. A través de Zoom, usted puede escuchar la reunión en español. Durante la reunión, el presidente de la Junta anunciará cuándo es el momento para que el público comente sobre los puntos de la agenda y el tiempo establecido para los comentarios. Los comentarios del público no deben exceder los dos minutos. Para los asistentes en persona, se les invita a utilizar el estrado cuando el presidente anuncia el momento de expresión pública. Si necesita acceso en silla de ruedas, puede dirigirse al micrófono designado en la parte delantera de la sala. Cuando participe en Zoom y sea su oportunidad de hablar, se anunciará su nombre y se le pedirá que active el micrófono de su dispositivo. Debido a un ligero retraso en la retransmisión en directo, le aconsejamos que se una a la reunión antes de la discusión del punto. Para los que se unan por teléfono, pulse estrella 9 si desea hacer algún comentario. Podrá empezar a hablar en cuanto oiga, active su micrófono. Si desea hacer su comentario en español, diga, necesito interpretación al español y espere instrucciones. Un recordatorio para todos los participantes. 
La Junta de Supervisores del Condado de Marín alienta el diálogo respetuoso, fomentando la libertad de expresión y acogiendo opiniones diversas. Se espera que todos los asistentes mantengan el civismo, absteniéndose de cuestionar el carácter o los motivos de los demás. Gracias. And thank you very much. Um, slight agenda adjustment this morning. We're going to do item number one, and then I'm moving up item number six to be the second item on the agenda. It'll be followed then by item number two, which will be open time. So again, item number one is the first item, as you would expect, and then item the second item will be item number six, and then we'll get back onto the agenda to item number two, which is open time. So the first item today is an exciting item, celebration of team of the quarter, department of the quarter, and it's from human resources to recognize the office of county council as the department of the quarter. And I'd like to introduce them and ask Renee Brewer to come up and, and introduce the team. Good morning, supervisors. Good morning, Matthew. We are delighted to be here today. I'm so excited to, in thank you, supervisor. So excited to introduce my team. Look, they're all here today. It's really fantastic for us all to get together. Um, and so our mission is to provide you with innovative and high quality legal services for all the county officials, departments, and public agencies so that we can protect the county of Marin and its resources. As an inward facing department, our primary means of advancing your initiatives is through our legal work. We do that work within the three divisions in our office. Now, someone in my office decided it was a good idea to make this a baseball theme. <laughs> um, it may have been our very own Mr. Relevant, Brian Washington, who leads our office, um, but I'm still kind of in the football realm. So I'm going to do a few mixed sports metaphors. I hope you can roll with that. Um, but we do have our three divisions. Um, our first is administrative, which is led by our um, administrative services officer, Colleen McGrath. And then we have our general government division led by Chief Deputy Jenna Brady. And we have our public protection, social services, and employment, which is led by me. Our office is small but mighty. We're made up of 15 attorneys and eight administrative support staff. We want to briefly highlight some of the pinch hitters, and now we're going back to baseball, that we have in our roster who do really important work a lot of times behind the scenes that further important county initiatives and objectives. Um, your board gets an opportunity to see many of us, perhaps too much, in closed session, so we want to emphasize some of our other folks on our roster as we indicated. So in honor of spring training, we're going to get started introducing you to the rest of the team. Um, however, there, while there's no crying in baseball, I've also heard there's no Taylor Swift either. So we are all going to have to shake it off <laughs> and just get really excited for you to meet the rest of this team. Here we go. <laughs> that was so great. I don't know how to follow that up. Jeez. Um, I am Rachel Porter. I am a civil legal specialist. I will be the team's uh, lead off hitter. What that means, I don't know, don't ask. <laughs> um, I have worked in the county council's office for five years now. Um, prior to joining the county council, I was working um, at the Marin County Superior Court in the civil clerk's office. Um, in my primary role with the Marin County Council's office, I focus on probate administration and probate conservatorships, um, working closely with the public administrator's office and the public guardian. 
Alongside um, the assigned attorney, I work to obtain the required authority to effectively handle and resolve estates in Marin County, um, for Marin County residents who pass away with a, without a will or known relatives willing or able to act on the decedent's behalf, um, or even seeking conservatorships for residents who are unable to manage their own affairs, such as property, finances, and personal care. Um, additionally, I process public records acts requests through next request. Um, it, it helps ensure transparency and public access to information through coordinations with our various departments. Good morning. I'm Stephen Robb. I've worked for the Office of County Council for over 20 years as a deputy county council, and I'm one of the many deputy county councils who represent the county in a wide variety of areas. I'm the legal advisor for the Department of Finance, uh, which includes analysis of the revenue and taxation code uh, for the tax collector and other property tax and financial matters. The taxation part of my work allows me to assist other departments in tax uh, issues, such as the Parks Department for their sales tax and the creation of the Marin Wildfire Protection Agency. Um, other clients of mine include the assessor recorder who determines property valuations and maintains required county records. I also advise the county fire department, the uh, county executive, the registrar of voters. And so I'm like a utility infielder who steps in whenever needed. Good morning, my name is Deidre Smith and I joined county council's office six years ago as a deputy county council. My primary work involves representation of the county's Children and Family Services Agency. In this role, I provide legal advice and courtroom representation to the county's many dedicated child welfare social workers in all aspects of their work. These are the social workers who protect and help our county's most vulnerable children and families and who respond to the scene of families in crisis 24-7. My role on this team is probably most like the catcher needing a little more armor than most. The legal world of child welfare is complex. It's a mixture of federal laws and regulations, state laws and regulations, case law, settlement conferences, trials, and appeals. And all of this intersects with the human element, the stories of kids and their lives. I think of my job as helping the county's helpers, and this work challenges me personally and professionally every day. Good morning, supervisors. My name is Kelsey Magnuson. I'm a civil legal specialist and I've worked in the county council's office for almost eight years. Uh, prior to my current position, I was working as a legal secretary in our office. Um, I would be like the shortstop who assists others to complete the task. One of my primary roles is processing the claims for that come into the county. Our office is in charge of the proper handling of these government claims once they are filed with the clerk of the board. The county claims team consists of a civil legal specialist, attorneys in our office, and our risk manager. We work closely with the appropriate departments to gain an understanding of the circumstances of the claim events to ensure proper handling and response in coordination with the county's claims management company, Carl Warren. Additionally, my position provides support to litigation attorneys working on various document reviews for discovery, as well as providing support to our juvenile dependency attorneys. Thank you. Good morning, supervisors. My name is Jenna Brady. I'm the Chief Deputy County Counsel. 
I currently manage our office's general government and land use team. In addition to coordinating this team, I represent a number of county clients, including our Department of Public Works. Our team provides legal support to various departments, including parks and open space, cultural services, public works, uh, community development agency elections, and many others too numerous to name here. Um, baseball reference, which I don't get either, is I'm the third base coach, the traffic <laughs> cop for our team. Um, I'm gonna thank Steven Rob for that one. Uh, our team also works with the county executive office and all of you board members and your aides on large issues that face the county, which includes sea level rise and homeless encampment resolution work, just to name a few. We're usually the individuals in the background providing advice and support to our county clients to make sure the important work that they need to get done gets done. Thank you. In this lineup, I'm the closer, Brian Washington, County Council. I hope we've been able to provide you a, a glimpse at the wide variety of work we do on a daily basis for the county, particularly in the areas that you often don't get to see. Thank you very much for recognizing the hard work of all the County Council employees. Thank you. Thank you all. I'm gonna bring it back to the board for any comments. Supervisor Rice. Well, that was great. You all have set the bar high for use of metaphors in these presentations. And I use, you know, and the bar, I'm using that as a, a track and field metaphor at this point, um, but I also know it's a legal term and it is an after hours activity as well. But um, seriously, I mean, that was really just a snapshot of what, what um, Brian, you and your entire team do. And it's not just for the County of Marin, it's all it's in so many special districts and um, the amount of litigation over the decades has grown um, what starting well before your time um, and the department is just so essential to actually not only guiding us through litigation but frankly keeping us on track so we don't get into litigation so um, really appreciate all your work and what a great presentation it was fun to see you all Supervisor Lugan. Uh, if we're going to keep the metaphors going I, <laughs> I think our county council oftentimes may be viewed as as the umpires calling the balls and strikes and uh, sometimes we're the ones or other members of the public arguing whether or not it's just a little bit outside or, or inside the parameters uh, they provide great advice and they 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 call they call a great game so um, we're just really grateful to have all of you here as part of the team and um, uh, really enjoyed working with you all this past year and getting to know more and more of, of the whole department so thank you for all the services you provide our county supervisor Moulton Peter home run on the presentation guys <laughs> and uh and really excellent work that you do uh you're a team of value most valuable players and it's true that we couldn't do this without you so thank you very much supervisor second yeah i just really want to highlight what renee started with it's high quality and i just appreciate the high quality of advice forward thinking um, trying to anticipate um, issues that could come up, but also keeping an eye on sort of the past, um, going backwards retroactively, um, how things have changed. So just really appreciate your partnership and your the sentiment that you care about the county and its citizens, and we can work together. So thank you. Yeah, thank you all. I really appreciate the work you do. <clears throat> I think it is all behind the scenes, mostly behind the scenes. And we don't often appreciate that enough. 
Um, too many times I know I'm asking, are you sure I can't do that? <laughs> and and I usually get, uh, get told, no, you can't, or maybe we'll look at it again. But uh, I do appreciate the legal standard and having no spitballs today. So thank you. Thanks and congratulations to the team. We're gonna hear from the public now. Anyone wanna make a public comment on this online first, Al? And anyone else can line up in the chamber. Yes, the first speaker is Deborah Howell. Please unmute. Hello, I'm Deborah Howell. I live and work and vote in Marin County. I request that you establish a path to a $26 per hour wage Deborah, for IH Deborah oh. can I stop you for a minute? I think you want to speak at open time, which is two items away. So can I have you come back at open time, please? The next speaker is Sarah Hobson. Please unmute. Sarah, this is, should be in regards to uh, the team of the quarter. Uh, yes, I'm sorry. I also need, I put my hand up prematurely. I'd like to give my comments at, um, in the open forum. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. The next speaker is Faye B. Please unmute. Comments in the open forum, please. Yes, thank you. The next Everyone's quick today, Al. <laughs> the next speaker is Pam. Please unmute. Please unmute. I'd like to speak in the open forum, please. Thank you. The next speaker is Eva. Please unmute. Hi, can you hear me okay? We can hear you fine. Go ahead. Yeah, thanks. I'm on my commute. I apologize for the freeway noise. Um, I, I wanted to recognize a lot of the hard work that um, the Office of Legal Counsel has provided with regard to CPRA requests. Um, I've been making them for, for years now. Um, and I, I do really appreciate the time and the energy that goes into responding to those. And I will praise the staff for, um, for very patiently answering questions about the process. Um, I do think one of the one of the issues that uh, any citizen activist reporter runs into after that process is, is what happens with the information afterward. Um, and I have noticed that um, supervision of, the, um, of um, some of your boards and commissions, you know, has, could have been a little more, uh, I guess a little more proactive when it comes to the Human Rights Commission and uh, when it comes to the Alcohol and Other Drugs Advisory Board. Um, I think that they've been given extraordinary leeway and, and you know, obviously suspended the Human Rights Commission. Uh, I think that was the right call. Brian Washington was actually in, physically in the meeting for the last meeting. And that, that may have, that may have uh, kind of turned that around uh, given, given the conduct of the commissioners. Uh, but, but, you know, the CPRAs have been handled, I think as well as they can be, given that the Office of Legal Counsel, their primary client is not the residents of the county, it's actually the supervisors. They have to answer to their client. And 
that's where we run into problems. We can get the information, but it's very hard to get any reform. Uh, thank, because thank you, Eva. The, the next speaker is Rodrigo Izquierdo. Please unmute. Well, let me add uh, something to what Eva said. One, I really do appreciate um, all the work that Brian Washington does. I think he, he means well, and he, um, he really, really tries very hard. But I want to just uh, add to something that you guys uh, were doing, and that was web design. And uh, you should apply it to the to the public records. Um, it's really confusing for someone who wants to get a public record. You you go onto the site and to either uh, put in a request for a public record or check up on a on a uh, one already submitted. And it's not user friendly. I mean, they don't have they people do not understand some of the terminology that everybody normally who does it all the time understands. They don't understand what, what do they mean when they say filters. Put in the right filter if you want information or if you don't see it. Another one is that uh, the phone number that they have for the for the attorneys, uh, your your counsel's office all has one. They have the listing of all their attorneys, deputy attorneys, and everybody, but they all share the very same phone number. So in other words, you cannot get through. And the last time I tried to get through, they uh, keep hanging up automatically. Just hang up. It would not get through. So if you want to talk to Ed and one of your attorneys from that office, you cannot get through. The only way you possibly could do it is going to be through the email system or addressing that to um, uh, Consul Washington. So that is something that you should look into. And, and again, as I mentioned quite a few times, is that you got to look at everything as to the eyes of someone who is not as well-versed as all of you are. You all do this a, you know, a thousand times all the time. So in other words, it's second nature to you. You got to look at it from someone who's uh, who's doing it for the first time as to getting instructions on what exactly to expect from a public records office as to anything from uh, delaying it for 14 days or whatever. Thank you. Or Time's up. There are no additional speakers in the queue. Thank you. I'll bring it back to the uh, chambers and this is on the team of the quarter. Anyone's welcome to speak. Thank you, Supervisor. Uh, Rosemary Gaglione on the Public Works Director. I just want to give a shout out to County Council. I'm surprised Jenna actually has time to help anybody else because she spends so much time with DPW. Uh, this team is, uh, the. not only are they really knowledgeable, they're good at what they do, but they're among the most accessible and friendly team of attorneys that I've worked with in places I've been. So I really do appreciate all that they do. And um, I, I would like Jenna's secret for how she manages not to sleep because she seems to always be working. So mm -hmm. thank you. Thank you. Max Corton, Marin County Parks. Just wanted to add my appreciation to County Council, Jenna and Brian Washington, your entire team. I mean, nothing we do would be possible without them. They've helped us navigate all of our most challenging uh, circumstances. And also during the pandemic, uh, this team we were talking every single day to help reopen businesses. So uh, my hat's off to them. Thank you. Sarah Jones, Community Development Agency. I just want to join my colleagues. I think County Council probably has a, an expense line item for Tums. And uh, CDA might be responsible for a significant majority of that. And I just so appreciate working with this entire team and what they do and uh, 
how helpful and supportive and um, really just leaning into supporting the whole county's uh, policy goals and doing it uh, the right way. Thank you. Excuse me, Chris Marnelli with Fire. Um, I would just like to thank the whole team. You know, really huge support for us, especially with all the projects we have going. And you know, I look at him as the third base coach, helping guiding us home. So, mm -hmm. thank you. Good morning, Supervisors. Uh, David Sutton, Public Defender. I too want to join in thanking, especially Sarah Anchor, Kate Stanford, uh, Valerie. I don't see Kara Porta here. Uh, you know, county council, there are attorneys often, but we're also strange bedfellows in that we also oppose them. Uh, and in those, uh, in court, and in those instances, uh, that office handles himself with the utmost professionalism and civility. And I really do appreciate uh, both their, their assistance in guiding us legally, but also uh, their, their calm opposition. Thanks. Terrific. Anyone else? Last comment. Yes. Hi, uh, Jonathan Freeman here. I had the opportunity uh, to work with uh, County Council two years ago when we had the um, <clears throat> a bit of a dust up over at the law library. And we worked first with uh, Sheila Licklau before she ascended. And, um, <clears throat> uh, and then with Stephen Rapp. And I learned uh, so much about the Brown Act from him. It was um, tremendous. And so I, I uh, <clears throat> never got a chance to appreciate him uh, publicly, but now I'm doing that. And I'm peeking now because I can't think about IHSS and I got to run off to play basketball, but have a good day. Thank you. Thank you. And congratulations to County Council. So just to remind the public, Just to remind the public and anyone that joined us since we started, we're going to item six next, and the next item will be open time. So you have to be a little more patient for open time. Item six, a request from Human Resources to appoint Derek Johnson as a county executive, effective April 29th, 2024. And I'm gonna turn it over to Christina Kramer, the Human Resource Director. Is this, Good morning, Christina Kramer. I'm gonna to try to keep with our theme. After our longstanding team captain announced his retirement, it was like Derek Jeter retiring from the Yankees. With many MVP awards, we had to find a recruiter, Gary Phillips with Bob Murray and Associates, find our top round draft pick, who will become our rookie of the year, Derek Jeter. I mean, excuse me, Derek Johnson. <laughs> so I am here today to just make a few comments on um, Derek's appointment. Uh, we did um, have a very successful recruitment. We conducted a nationwide recruitment and um, we narrowed the candidate pool down to seven top candidates who went through a pretty strenuous interview process with your board who then narrowed down to even further from that. We had participants in helping your boards um, uh, screen the candidates and interview processes, uh, local government leaders, uh, subject matter experts, county executives from other counties, uh, a, a subset of the department heads. Um, and after a lot of vetting um, and further conversations with your board, 
um, you narrowed it down to um, Derek. So um, this item is to approve his uh, agreement with an appointment date for April 29th of this year. Um, he comes to us with a lot of experience and um, I'm sure he's very excited and poised and ready to lead this organization and take it to um, a future uh, level um, after our longstanding executive Matthew retires. So I just need to say one more thing, um, just that uh, the agreement includes um, the normal county benefits, appointing him at the top salary of $355,098 a year um, as the current um, rate of pay and other negotiated benefits. And with that, I will turn it over to your board or to Derek um, to make any further comments. Thank you. We're going to take board comments first. Uh, Supervisor Moulton Peters, would you like to make comments? Matthew, well, thank you for everything you've done. And Derek, welcome to the team. We're very glad to have you. It was a very in-depth uh, recruitment and interview process, and you passed with flying colors. So welcome. Thank you. Supervisor Sackett. Welcome, Derek. We're excited to have you here and um, just appreciated, Christina and your team, the process. I think we did, did have phenomenal candidates and it was a very difficult decision, but um, look forward to the uh, days and years ahead. Thank you. Supervisor Wright. Yeah, thank you. Um, ditto on the, on the uh, kudos to Christine and your team for the entire process. It was great. I was going to reserve my comments and my vote until I saw how well Derek de dealt with the metaphor challenge. <laughs> but <laughs> no, but, um, but welcome. So glad to have you on board. And today you might be the celeb and rock star and what most valuable player sort of, but when you come back, you're going to be working stiff, so enjoy today. <laughs> Supervisor Lucan. I uh, also just want to welcome Derek. I know it's a bit of a, a homecoming, having spent uh, a lot of time here in the county uh, years ago, and we're so so glad to have you back. Uh, welcome. Looking forward to working with you. I want to thank Christina and the whole team for a wonderful process uh, in leading us to you uh, as our candidate excited to move forward and make it official today. So thank you and welcome. And I also want to congratulate Christine and her team and the recruitment team did a really good job. I think we started this in November. The fact that we're finishing it now is really wonderful. Derek, welcome. And we really are pleased to have you on board. We Sorry, we have to wait a little bit for you, but we're willing to do that. And thanks to Dan for filling in while you're, while you're uh, coming to us. Um, so I'm going to look to the public now for public comment. First go online. And this is regarding the uh, item six, which is the appointment of Derek Johnson as county executive. If you can refrain your comments to that subject matter, I will appreciate it. Go ahead, Al. The first speaker is Eva. Please unmute. Eva, please unmute. Hello, can you hear me? We can hear you, go ahead. Thank you. Um, you know, this really represents an interesting opportunity because, you know, Matt Heimel um, performed the duties of the county administrator in a very particular way. Uh, I would say particularly lacking in transparency. Um, and I think the lawsuits that you've seen in the last couple of years attest to that. 
uh, Derek Johnson, about whom we know really very little, um, will be coming into this position. And he has an opportunity to create, to, to establish a level of transparency that would preclude our having to run so many CPRAs. I, I will note um, that there are still no answers from um, Mr. Heimel's office or whoever's, you know, whoever has been in charge in this interim time uh, about the, the stacked deck uh, or the rigged game or however you want to put it of the Sheriff's Civilian Oversight Working Group. Um, you, you, you ended up with a group, thanks to uh, the county administrator, that was packed uh, with people who had very deep ties to Marin County Sheriff and Sonoma County Sheriff, and you never disclosed that. I had to run endless CPRAs uh, to find out that Heidi Merchant was not only married to uh, the Sonoma County Assistant Sheriff, who runs that deadly Eva, jail, Eva, but that she'd also been, topic, yeah, but this is important. This is on topic. Transparency matters. Very good. She was also a deputy in Marin County working in the jail and Sonoma County. We need a process that's transparent in order to have a functioning government. And that's what has been lacking with Mr. Heimel. Mr. Johnson has, would have a big hurdle to establish that transparency, but he needs to do so. The next speaker is Rodrigo Izquierdo, please unmute. Rodrigo, please unmute. Well, I hope that Mr. Johnson will continue something that um, uh, Mr. Heimel has, has started, and that is the review of all the commission um, boards that the county has. Uh, he found, he found Mr. Heimel and um, Mr. Uh, Brian Washington found out that the HRC is really totally non-functional, and that it, it took absolutely years, years of uh, this uh, non-representation of the people and this, this totally dysfunctional organization. And so that's why it is paused. And that, that it should continue to be paused until Mr. Heimel or Mr. Johnson actually reevaluates their function and see whether they really do represent the people or whether, or, or whether they will continue to be a liability to the county. So I hope that uh, Mr. Johnson, one of the first things he does is review all the, all the boards with volunteers in it who might be uh, either not adhering to the Brown Act or actually causing a liability to the county. So, so again, uh, please look at some of the videos of, of of the HRC and you will see how dysfunctional they are and how much work you have to do to revamp it and actually have, have them really uh, represent the people. So again, you got a, a lot of work to do. And one of them is to start by checking out all the boards that you have under, under the control of the county. Thank you. President Rodani, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Thank you. It's an opportunity for anyone in the chamber to comment on this item, item six. All right, seeing none, I'm gonna bring it back to the board. I'd like to get a motion for this approval. Uh, could, we, could we hear from um, Derek? Gonna hear from oh. after we do this. Uh, I'd like I to give him the job first and then we'll get to hear from him. We'll see if he gets the job. 
I'd like to move the appointment of Derek Johnson as County Executive, effective April 29th, 2024, and approve and execute the agreement for personal services. I second. Been moved and second. We nominate uh, or appoint Derek Johnson. All those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Abstain? Congratulations, Derek. Welcome aboard. <laughs> Well, thank you, uh, President Radoni, and th thank you uh, for the rest of the Board of Supervisors for this honor. Um, I am really excited. I had the chance last night uh, with Matthew to spend some time in the bullpen. Uh, we threw balls for a few hours last night as we went over a lot of uh, county different uh, county topics. Um, you know, I feel like I'm joining an all-star team here. Uh, we've got an all-star uh, Board of Supervisors. I've had nothing but people come up uh, to me both online and in person this morning and been so gracious and welcoming uh, me to, uh, here to Marin County. Um, you know, I, I grew up playing ball in uh, Marin County. I actually was riding by uh, Lefty Gomez uh, Fields this uh, past weekend. I can remember as a young little leaguer uh, spending some time out on those fields. And so uh, uh, I'm really looking forward to kind of relearning about Marin County, learning about all the issues, um, serving uh, this board and serving uh, uh, this county uh, and with really an all-star team of employees. Uh, I do look forward to rolling up my sleeves uh, and getting up to bat uh, at the end of April. I think uh, I'm, there are a lot of challenging issues ahead, but I'm really excited with the team uh, and the talent that's here. And I know we can serve uh, and get things done. So thank you very much for the confidence this morning. Thank you so much, Derek. All right, we're moving on to item two now which is open time for items not on the board's agenda, but within the subject matter of this board, I would take speakers first online and then in the chamber. Given the number of speakers, I will limit the total time to 45 minutes. Any remaining comments held at the end of open session at the end of the meeting, I believe right after 9H today's, on today's agenda. I'll alternate with five speakers online and five in the chamber. And if any of you are unable to stand for any length of time, Please tell the person in behind you to save your place in line if you'd like to sit down or need to sit down. So thank you. Gonna go online now, please, for the first five. The first speaker is Gilad Rice. Please unmute. Good morning, and thank you to the moderator for the introduction. And thank you to the Board of Supervisors for allowing me the opportunity to speak this morning. I am here representing well over 1,000 citizens from across the Bay Area who feel strongly about not calling for a ceasefire against Israel. Today, I will email you all a petition um, to the board with over 1,000 signatures on it stating what I'm about to say. And I also want to point out to the board that my role here is totally grassroots and I'm not funded by any organization for my time and effort. I will basically repeat what I have been saying for the past number of weeks, which is mainly to thank the Board of Supervisors for recognizing that their role is not to call for a ceasefire or comment on world issues or events, as much as it may pain us here all in Marin. I also want to remind the Board that there was a ceasefire in place on October 6th, but on October 7th, it was violently broken by Hamas. On that day, over 1,200 babies, men, women, seniors were raped, tortured, decapitated, and burnt alive brutally butchered, and almost 250 taken hostage by Hamas. 
Hamas has one goal, one core belief, and that is to eradicate Israel and its Jewish population, period. They will not rest until they have accomplished that goal. I would like to quote from the Article 13 of the Hamas Covenant that says they will never agree to negotiated peace settlements and the only solution in their eyes is jihad. And I quote the words from Hamas, peace initiatives and so-called peaceful solutions and international conferences are in contradiction in, to the principles of the Islamic resistance movement. Those conferences are no more than a means to appoint the infidels as arbitrators in the land of Islam. <clears throat> there is no solution for the Palestinian problem except by jihad. Initiatives, proposals, and international conferences are but a waste of time, an exercise in futility. This is Article 13 from their covenant. Again, I thank the board for their thank stand. You. The next speaker is Terry of Marin County, California. Please unmute. Good morning. I'm Terry Graham, and I've been an IHSS worker since fall of 2021. I've worked for 10 low-income disabled adults aged 60 to 85, which is my age range. And in that time, it's become clear to me that as one of California's richest counties, Marin has utterly failed to create and fund a strong support system or safety net for vulnerable seniors. The 2020 census found 33% of our population is over age 60, yet the May 2023 grand jury report on older adults revealed that HHS allocates just 2.3%, 2.3% of its $236 million budget with a disjointed, disconnected reporting relationship to management that leaves seniors disenfranchised. Part of this gross underfunding is the underfunding of the in-home support services program, which is IHSS. You get what you pay for. In 2020, California auditors report said the living wage in Marin was 31 an hour. Yet the most recent pay raise for IHSS workers went from a paltry $16.95 to $18 an hour, just 58% of that living wage. We make less than local fast food hamburger flippers. We get three paid sick leaves a day, no vacation pay, no mileage, no benefits, no paid holidays. Many workers are poorly educated and don't speak English, which creates huge problems for seniors that can't communicate their basic needs or preferences. Many horror stories can't go into them, Many good workers jump ship and go to higher paying private care providers, leaving Marin with a small pool of generally less capable workers. I believe that the Marin Board of Supervisors alone can change this by giving us the wages that we deserve and to retain the best of the workers. Thank you. Thank you. The next speaker is Faye B. Please unmute. Good morning, supervisors. We, the people of the great new California state, notice to all Californians, declaration of the 12th constitutional default, election treason. Count eight, election treason. The 2018 midterm elections, 2021 recall election and the 2022 midterm elections were all lost in one-to-one -one balloting, but with the help of a fraudulent electronic election system and algorithm, and the actions of the globalist cartels and the CCP, a di dictator was installed to oversee their province of California. 
Now, with the help of the federal courts in the state of Georgia and their unwitting corrupted Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, the evidence is clear for the world to see how they selected treasonous governor of the province of California and thousands of down-ballot corrupt selected officials turned the once great state of California into a Nazi communist totalitarian province. The election case pits an election integrity nonprofit and a handful of Georgia voters against the Secretary of State's office. They claim that the state's computerized voting machine faced an unacceptable risk of being hacked, which infringes on the constitutional rights of voters. The case has already made history after Judge Totenberg ordered the state in 2019 to replace its previous voting machines with from Diebold election systems. Her ruling came after plaintiffs highlighted the touchscreen machine's vulnerability to being hacked. In response, Georgia brought the Dominion machines and began using them in the June 2020 presidential election. With the Dominion machines, voters use a touchscreen, also called a ballot marking device, to make their choices. Then they print out their ballots, which have a QR code that a scanner reads to record the tally of votes. During the six-year case, computer scientists serving as experts for the plaintiffs have uncovered multiple Thank specific you. Time's ways. Up. The next speaker is Rodrigo Izquierdo. Please unmute. Uh, hi. Um, I want to talk about the, uh, again, about the, this hot potato of the Marin Human Rights Commission. The, the UN has a human rights commission. It, it's a serious uh it's a serious mission that, that they have to follow. It might not be followed by nations, but still that's their intention. And so why on earth do you have a human rights commission if they're not even gonna follow their own mission statement, they're not gonna follow their own bylaws, they're not gonna follow the Brown Act, they're not even gonna follow their own agendas. It is completely hijacked by personalities who want to make it their commission, and they have said so. So, so I think that that you should uh, dissolve it and have them reapply exactly like one commissioner, Curtis Aiken, said, and he brought in the chair. So, in a way, for him to all of a sudden not support him, not support him anymore, is making a statement that somehow something went wrong. So he has suggested that it be paused, which you have done. So now it's not, it has to go further than that. It has to be reorganized. You did it in 2015 again, where there was infighting. So it seems to be something that happens all the time when you have personalities who have such uh, grandiose ideas that doesn't really follow the, you know, what the public wants or even appreciates any public participation. So do not have the HRC as it is right now. It is totally 100% non-functional and non-representative of the canal or the or Marin City. Thank you. The fifth speaker is Sarah Hobson. Please unmute. Uh, good morning. Um, I'm Sarah Hobson, Executive Director of West Marin Fund. We're a community foundation serving coastal Marin. I'm also representing Socorro Romo of West Marin Community Services, 
and Dr. Anna O'Malley of the Natura Institute for Ecology and Medicine in Bolinas. Our three organizations were voted as grant recipients through the participatory budgeting process. I'm here to thank the Board of Supervisors and the Office of Equity for this wonderful opportunity and for including West Marin community organizations actively in the process. We particularly want to appreciate Jamila Jordan and her team. In our experience, everyone involved has made a tremendous effort to introduce an innovative and complex grant-making process focusing on equity and community leadership in Marin County. The funding will provide much needed resources in West Marin for disadvantaged people, particularly BIPOC youth and young children. Thank you very much. Okay, that's five online. We're gonna to come to the chamber now for five and Eli, I believe you're gonna be first. Well, All right, uh, thank you so much. Good morning, supervisors. For the record, our outgoing Derek Jeter has my vote for the Hall of Fame. Uh, so, Caregiving in Marin has never been more important than now with disabled people living in the community, with more disabled people living in the community and an increasing older adult population that is 40% of folks in Marin. But also access to caregiving has never been more at risk in Marin than now. Not everyone can afford private a private home care provider. So they must seek help from the in-home support services public authority. This is an equity issue. Because of the highly competitive job market, IHSS workers can find better wages in all our neighboring counties. Currently, the IHSS wage in Marin is $18 an hour, while in San Francisco, these same workers can make almost $3 an hour more. And over the next three years, they will have the option of making more than $7 an hour more. This is why we have advocated over the last year for a path to $26 an hour for IHSS workers. The wage is based on the MIT cal living wage calculator. It's true that the IHSS public authority is a separate entity, but the funding to support a wage increase comes from the county and requires your approval. You do have a say in how much we pay these essential workers who are supporting our community from within. At the end of the day, this is a question of our values. Will we value those that need help and will we value those that give help? We must support our caregiving workers in order to keep them. I believe the county and all of you will make the right decision. Thank you. Thank you. Next. Good morning, supervisors. Uh, my name is Lauren Vreeland Long. I'm from UU Marin, a member of the Marin Organizing Committee. Negotiations have begun between the county and SEIU 2015, the union representing the in-home supportive services caregivers. At this time, there is a mandated silence on any discussion of the particulars of the negotiations. However, I am here to remind the board of MOC's endorsement of reaching a living wage of $26 an hour during this contract. In our discussions, we have found confusion about funding for the request of $26 an hour. Confusion in part because it is a bit confusion confusing. And also at the beginning of our involvement, the county administrator's office provided information that was incorrect and later corrected. Let's review the funding formula as it is right now. 50% of the funding comes from the federal government, 32.5% comes from the state government, and 17.5% is funded by the county. The state has a cap on their contribution of 10% over three years. Anything above that is split 50-50 county and federal. 
Other counties have gone above the state max. At a previous board meeting, Supervisor Lucan asked the executive staff to find out if those counties received a waiver. At a recent meeting, we asked the same question of an executive staff member, and an answer was not provided. We checked with San Francisco and learned that they did not receive a waiver. We also did not get an answer to Supervisor Rice's question about finding additional sources of funding. Another concern is that there is a state bill proposing that there be a statewide union contract. It may pass sometime in the next three years. Can we take the chance that we will never be able to catch up? Thank you. Thank you. My name is Jim Harris and I live here in San Rafael. And I want to add my voice to the call to support for the Board of Supervisors to issue a strong statement for an immediate ceasefire for the people of Gaza. Over 100,000 Gazans out of a population of 2.5 million have either been killed or wounded so far in this massive slaughter in just four months. The Save the Children Foundation uh, says that on average, 10 Gazan children a day lose at least one limb. Our local congressional representative, Congressman Huffman, remains committed to supporting the ongoing bombing to support Netanyahu's endless attacks on Palestinian civilians and has turned a deaf ear to our pleas. That is why we turn to you. Our local representatives, during, <clears throat> during times of great injustice and in a democracy, some may be guilty, but all of us are responsible. The funding of this massacre comes from rain and communities all over the country. We ask that you use your voice to say no to this crime against humanity. I urge you to use your influence to say enough is enough. Don't let silence in the face of this ongoing genocide be your legacy. Good morning, good morning, supervisors. I am Victoria Holdridge of UU Marin, a member of MOC. A recent state law gives everyone working in medical facilities a path to $25 an hour. That means that caregivers could work in a hospital gift shop or as a custodian for more pay and less stress. High rents mean caregivers can't live here. A transportation system does not provide access to clients. The cost of gas, bridge tolls, wear and tear on vehicles, and a lower salary have a direct impact on someone choosing to work here. Even $26 an hour is not a wage that allows for any unexpected expenses. It is still only $52,000 a year. If the caregiver was able to work a full-time 40-hour week, which they cannot, if their client suddenly goes to the hospital, they are not paid. We are asking people who care for our most vulnerable neighbors to make a personal sacrifice. Should we not, as a community, also make a sacrifice? It is imperative that caregivers are willing to come to Marin as we live in a county with the largest population of seniors in the state. Making it possible for our seniors to age in place is not only the most caring thing to do, it is the most economical. What happens to seniors who need to care for themselves and there are no caregivers? 
if they can't be cared for at home, where can they go in a county that has a severe shortage of board and care facilities and assisted living centers? It is possible if we increase wages on a regular basis during the course of the contract to bring our wages into parity with our neighboring counties. Our ask is that you make it clear to the county negotiating team that it is a priority for the Board of Supervisors that there is a path to $26 an hour by the end of the contract. Thank you so much. Thank you. My name is Monib Khademi, and I've been a resident of Marin since 1983, uh, 32 years in um, Mill Valley, and since then in Los Ranchitos, across the area from here. And 12 of those I served as a uh, school board member in Mill Valley. So this is the first time that I'm on this side of the podium uh, addressing a board, and I really uh, appreciate and respect what it takes from each of you to listen to us with our diverse uh, points of view, as well as the various demands that we have in areas that affect each of our lives. We have to deal with this with people's precious children, so um, I respect and appreciate the service that you do to our community. I'm here to specifically acknowledge two people in the Sheriff's Department that I had recently the uh, chance to interact with, uh, as well as the possibility that um, use of uh, some of the new technology uh, provides us as um, community members in our safety and security. On January 28th, I, said so I heard some noise in my house went to the TV room to see what the noise was from. And there was, a, there was someone on the other side of the window with a crowbar trying to get in. When I asked him uh, with the glass closed uh, on the other side of the glass what he was doing, he said he was working on some systems. I hadn't called any for any systems. Eventually, after a lot of interaction, he ran away with a crowbar. I called the Sheriff's Department 911 and Deputy um, Katie Walter showed up in less than 10 minutes. She was gracious, she was professional, she was kind. She took a report of what had happened. I was able to share the video of this uh, person. She took it, she um, sent it on APB with a photo of the person who was there. Uh, I got a call the next morning from um, Detective Justin Zeb at 7 a.m. He asked if he could get a copy of that, plus the uh, flock uh, review of the cars that had come there. And the person was um, uh, the highway patrol in Sonoma arrested a person um, that evening, Sunday evening, that matched the photo. Thank they you. kept that person in. Uh, Detective Webb went to Sonoma. He was arraigned and he was charged in Marin on, on February 6th. Uh, fortunately for Sonoma, he had also, they kept him there because he had also stolen uh, goods there. So thank you. Um, that is a great job that that team did. Thank you, Thank for you coming very much. much. Thank you for coming before us. So we're gonna go back online now. We still have a number of speakers that wanna to speak today. So I'm going to go to one minute now uh, for everyone and invite you back if you wanna have a second minute after the end of the agenda, if anyone wants to speak uh, at that time. Al, could we go to one minute please and the next speaker. The first speaker is Michael Harris, please unmute. Thank you, can you hear me? Yes, sir, go ahead. Great, thank you. I'd also like to address the fact they're being pressured to pass a resolution calling for Israel to cease fire oh, again. Are you there? Um, what is really striking is that those who are demanding you take up this issue seem- Mr. Harris, please, please hold on. I believe they can't hear us in the chamber. System. 
We're gonna actually just invite the in-chamber next five first. So go ahead. One minute, please, sir. Good morning, um, Board of Supervisors and uh, uh, people in the audience. My name is Sam Jordan. I've been a, uh, a care provider for over 30 years. And um, I actually travel to see my clients here from Vallejo. So um, uh, you can imagine the amount of uh, time it, it takes to get, get here. And um, uh, if you guys are able to raise the uh, wage to 26 an hour at, at a minimum, uh, that would be great, okay? The, um, some fast food workers, you know, earn more than that, okay? Uh, second point I wanna make is I'm a male provider, which is in uh, great demand and sorely needed in, in, in all counties, but especially here I was told when I was hired. Um, um, the legislator, uh, 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 speaking from a financial standpoint of view, about 20 years ago when I was in Sacramento, um, the legislator um, uh, co co commissioned a study on, um, on what it costs would, would, would be to uh, put seniors and uh, disabled folk, you know, in a, a residential care, care home. It, it was estimated to be over $60,000 a year. And at, at that time, we as workers could only earn between maybe eighteen dollars and $23,000 a year. So just strictly from a financial standpoint of view, you know, it, it's proper, you know, it, it makes sense Thank for you. that. Thank you. Your time's up. Thank you. Welcome. Good morning, uh, Ted Jackson with the Marin Center for Independent Living. We've been talking about IHSS wages now for about a year. And I think that we can all agree that there's a rapidly increasing need for caregivers in Marin, that the job market and competitive wages in neighboring counties put our caregiver supply at risk, and that the current IHSS wage is just not high enough to reflect the need and dignity of this work. We can carve a path to $26 an hour over the next three years by starting now with matching fast food wages at $20 to $21 an hour, then following San Francisco's lead with semi-annual incremental increases, plus adding the annual base minimum wage increase required under state law that will happen over those three years. We can get there. Sure, it will cost more, uh, during the three year of the contract to the county, but it's investment in the future, which will be returned through greater state contribution in future contracts. It's true that the IHSS public authority is a separate entity, but the funding to support a wage increase comes from the county's general funds and requires your approval. The county and the board holds the purse strings and is the ultimate decider. So we're asking you to make the right decision to carve a path to $26 an hour for, living, for a living wage for IHSS providers. The Thanks. pitcher is throwing you an opportunity. You have the chance mm -hmm. to hit a home run. Thank you, Ted. I'm requesting, thank you for your help. Thank you. I'm requesting that you accommodate me and allow me to speak the two minutes without getting in line. My name is Lisa Irving. I live in District 3, and keeping in line with a sports theme, I am your legit blind ref. I am here to talk to you about two issues. The first, I want to let you know that the Marin Superior Court's 
um, online request for accommodations form is not accessible to blind individuals such as myself who use assistive screen reading technology. Therefore, I, I am precluded from participating in jury selection and other matters. And I have emailed the chief administrative officer. I've emailed my requests. Her silence is an act of denial. Um, the next thing I want to, the next thing I want to talk to you about is the um, Marin Transit. I understand that you oversee the board of directors for Marin Transit, and Marin Transit has engaged in a pilot program with the TNC, specifically with Uber. Unfortunately, when the board of directors and others approved the contract, they failed to build in mechanisms to protect those of us who are denied um, rides because we're accompanied by service animals. I have one case with me that's been filed with the district attorneys and I recently filed another case with the district attorneys. My ask is that um, in, in lieu of fiscal responsibility, um, first, please keep, please work with the board of directors, Marine Transit Board of Directors to keep the, renew the pilot program. It is cheaper instead of paying $84 per passenger each way to use paratransit, it is much cheaper to contract with a TNC. However, that TNC needs to be responsible and lose the contract if they're going to deny service to individuals such as myself. I shouldn't have to call the sheriffs to, to have drivers charged. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. This is Peter Pardini. Um, I live in District 3. And I also want to speak about the contract between Uber and Marin Transit. Basically, in the contract itself, there is no stipul no penalties, no stipulations, except for the broad stipulation that they have to obey all federal and state laws. No stipulations regarding that they have to ensure, take responsibility. There needs to be some financial penalty for them to allow drivers to discriminate against people that have service animals. It's a, this, the, the contract needs to be strengthened in that manner. It's a great service. It provides a lot of flexibility for people that have disabilities. It's nice to have on-demand service. And, but there needs to be some accountability on the contract provider to ensure that they do not discriminate against pe people with service animals. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Hello, I'm Maria Brown from Congregation Koshafar, a founding member of MOC. The time is now. This contract is critical. Although for part of the contract, the county will have to pay a portion that would normally be paid by the state, there are long-term benefits. And at the end of the contract, the state will go back to its original formula of 50% for the federal government, 32.5% for the state, and 17.5% for the county, thus fully covering the state portion that they did not cover for the earlier part of the contract. So instead of falling further behind, our neighboring counties will make it more attractive for caregivers to work here 
instead of San Francisco and Alameda. Is it, it's also an equity issue since many of the people that work in these low paying jobs are people of color and women. Is it any wonder that the fastest growing group entering homelessness are our seniors? Think of the beloved preschool teacher who paid taxes, rented her whole life and was never able to purchase a home and now qualifies for IHSS, but there are no available caregivers. Thank you, Rhea. Thank you. Good morning, Board of Supervisors. My name is Sunita Singh. I am a, a um, IHSS worker for about a year now, a proud member of SEIU 2015 and a proud member of the bargaining team. I can tell you, being in the healthcare for last four years, of last four decades, um, and a Marine County resident for last four decades, can tell you that being IHSS worker, making less than $17 an hour, you cannot live in Marine County. I've only been, like I said, for a year, caretaker for my mom, and last year I made all of $10,000, under $10,000. So I beg you, you are in the position to make wages better for IHSS workers so we can live and take care of our loved ones. Thank you. Thank you. Al, we're gonna go online now for five individuals. The first speaker is Deborah Howell, please unmute. Give you one minute, please. I'm sorry, the next speaker is Eva, please unmute. Eva, please, please unmute. She's here, Al. Hang on. Thank you very much. Uh, I apologize. I just got off the bike. I'm a little late. Um, I, I just, just want to point out. Thank you. Thank you. Eva, Eva, I'm going to have you yeah. wait for a minute. Uh, I'll, I'll finish online. I'll come back to you. Okay, okay great. Thanks. Al, next online, please. The next speaker is Pam. Please unmute. Good morning, thank you. This is a continuation of count eight election treason. The solution the plaintiffs argue is to have voters mark paper ballots by hand as nearly 70% of voters do in the rest of the country. The ballots themselves, not just a QR code, would then be scanned and a procedure known as risk limiting audit would be used to verify the results. Georgia's one of the handful of states that uses the same election system for all of its registered voters statewide. That means any problem, whether due to hacking or human error, could affect nearly 8 million votes. Many other states use a patchwork of systems. In June of 2023, the Federal District Court for the Northern District of Georgia unsealed the so-called 96-page Haldeman Report, the security analysis Georgia's image cast X ballot marking devices. University of Michigan professor of computer science and engineering J. Alec Talderman and security researcher assistant professor at Auburn University Drew Stringle collaborated Thank on you, the Pam. report. Your time's up. The next speaker is Donna Fife. Please unmute. Continuation of treason eight. In Georgia courtroom on January 19, 2024, A. Al Halderman demonstrated in explicit detail in the court and the whole world was easy to hack into the Dominion voting systems and alter votes. 
following an audit of the elections of 2018, 2021, and 2022, utilizing data provided by each county, California County and the Secretary of State's office, is obvious that algorithm was used to create weighted vote values in the Dominion and other vote tabulation devices by those who facilitated the selection of the governor. The evidence of the California Federal Court presented by Halderman overwhelmingly supports the use of algorithms to facilitate the corrupt election process. The fraudulent election system does not function without the help and support of state and county employees who either knowingly or unwittingly have worked together to perpetuate the corrupt election system. I request my additional minute at the end. Thank you. The next speaker is Angela Sarah Onandia. Please unmute. Hello. Go ahead. Um, my name is Angela Zaranandia. Um, I've lived here in Tenerfell my entire life. Um, I'm 26 years old. And I just had to come in and say that um, if you are a human being, I, you believe in the freedom of the Palestinians. You believe in the freedom of Congo, of Myanmar. If <laughs> you are a person before you were an American, you understand that no one is free until we are all free. I yield my time. The next speaker is Krista Kempel. Please unmute. Hi, I'm Krista Kempel, and we are a Palestinian American family living and working in Marin County. We demand that the council calls for a ceasefire to end the Israeli war on Gaza. Over 100 thousand innocent Palestinian civilians have been killed or brutally injured by Israeli military action since October 7, 2023. Marin County must be on the right side of history and pass a ceasefire resolution to send a clear message to Congress and the president that this is the demand of the people. Those children who died today would still be alive if a ceasefire were passed yesterday. Imagine we are a family living and paying taxes that directly fund the genocide of our own people. Your silence on this matter sends a clear message to my family and other Arab American families that our lives are not valued, respected, or wanted here in Marin. Please pass the ceasefire now. The next speaker is Crash. Please unmute. Hi. Can you hear me? We can hear you, go ahead. Okay, okay. Hi, I'm Crash, a lifelong resident of Marin. Uh, I'm here to ask for the board to pass a permanent ceasefire resolution in regards to the ongoing genocide of the Palestinian people. Uh, I'm asking you to use your platform and the power that comes with it to stand against the horrific violence being committed against innocent civilians. The latest death tolls are nearly 30,000. Uh, individuals excluding those still missing, or sorry, excluding individuals still missing under rubble, uh, and that number is only going to keep rising. This month alone, almost 8,000 Palestinians have been killed or injured. Israel has designated supposed safe zones, yet continues to bombard these heavily populated areas. 1,005,000 plus civilians have been forced to pack into what's now the most densely populated area on earth, and with the collapse of the healthcare system and Israel's refusal to let insufficient aid, disease is rampant and people are literally starving to death. Uh, Thank you for your time and please hear us. Please pass the ceasefire resolution now. Thank you. Thank you. Eva, would you like to come up to the chamber podium, please? Have one minute. Thank you very much. Uh, I just want to uh, remind people that there's a wonderful book 
called First Democracy by Paul Woodruff. He was a professor at the University of Texas. And he explains um, what, what the demands of a democracy are. And I'd like to point out that when you have cut down your meetings to two per month, and then you restrict the public to only 45 minutes of public comment, what you're doing is strangling democracy. There are a lot of people who uh, want to talk about the ceasefire. Uh, we just saw an active duty US Air Force member set himself on fire on Sunday. And you won't even, uh, in protest of, of his, his own complicity, what he felt was his own complicity in this genocide. Okay, really quickly, Damon Connolly, who used to sit in your seat, Mary Sackett, took a trip to Israel over Valentine's Day week. Um, there's no disclosure from his office regarding this. I want answers. I put in a Legislative Open Records Act request, um, and, and I have a lot more to say. And unfortunately, I can't share that information with the public. MarinCountyConfidential.substack.com is where these articles are, are being distributed because the media isn't talking about it, and you're quashing democracy by restricting people to one minute. Thank you. Thank you. And again, anyone's invited after item nine for an additional minute or two if they need it. So go ahead next, please. Good morning. My name is, uh, good morning, uh, members of the board. My name is Melinda McCall, and I've been in Marin for over 26 years now. I'm also a Marin County IHSS provider, and I'm also a member of the bargaining team. <clears throat> I've been a provider for over 10 years, and it's beginning increasingly difficult to continue to live here in a county with such low wage. We need a strong contract so that myself and my other caregivers um, can continue to do this critical work. Um, thank you for your time. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Connie Barker. Uh, I've been an IHSS provider in this county on and off since 1995. Uh, I'm also a member of the bargaining team. Um, this is my, uh, my badge for Marin General Hospital, where my uh, partner is currently an inpatient and where I came from to speak to you. Another of my clients is also there, a 93-year-old woman with, uh, with COVID. Um, these are depressing things, uh, but I, this morning something came across my Facebook feed that I just want to read to you briefly. It's a very old quote by Arundhati Roy uh, that just spoke to me uh, in a way that I didn't expect, where she says, another world is not only possible, she is on her way, and on a quiet day, I can hear her breathing. I, I was astounded to find that I still believe that <laughs> in spite of everything. So this morning, all I'm gonna ask you to do is to listen and to breathe and to see if you can still feel that world coming. In my version of that world, the people I take care of are valued, my work and expertise is valued, and you can take a big step in that direction by getting us to a living wage. Thank, thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Good morning, members of the board. My name is Tiffany Kimball. I'm the union organizer for Local 2015. You know we're in negotiations. I just wanted to reiterate there is a shortage of care in this county. Over 256, 415 hours were unused last year. And a lot of that is because people are not paid a fair wage. So I pray, I hope during this um, negotiation cycle that you all can consider, please raise the wages. These lovely people need a livable wage. Thank you. Thank you. 
Hello. Good to see everybody. Dennis, thank you for being in there again. I, I'm not involved with uh, in-home support services in a lot of ways. I care for my sister somewhat in Maui who has difficulty, uh, Alzheimer's and that kind of thing. But the issue is it's a matter of justice, really. The uh, many who are wealthy in the county can afford $31 an hour. But it's a matter of justice. Shouldn't people who are low income be able to move towards that, that $31 an hour as well? $26 an hour for sure. And maybe with the negotiations that's happening with uh, SEIU now, we can begin to move for beyond $18 an hour to 20 or $21 an hour this year. I would hope that would happen. We need to care for people that can't afford to uh, live here, have to go other places to do their jobs. So please move forward uh, with the negotiation as SEIU and move forward to $20 an hour at least this year. Thank you. Thank you. Al, can we finish up the two speakers online and haven't spoken yet? First speaker is Michael Harris. Please unmute. Thank you. Uh, there are many people of goodwill who want to see the conflict between Israel and Hamas end. But what's striking is that those who are demanding that you take up this issue seem united in their insistence that any such resolution not recognize that a permanent ceasefire requires Hamas to surrender and disarm. The goal of enabling Hamas to stay in power appears to be a central part of their activism. This is despite the fact that Hamas leaders have repeatedly vowed that returning to the situation of October 6th, when there was a ceasefire and Hamas was in control of Gaza, will lead to a repeat of the atrocities of October 7th. Congressman Jared Huffman understands that. And as Congressman Richie Torres of New York has noted, not everyone calling for a ceasefire once Israel destroyed but everyone who wants Israel destroyed is calling for a ceasefire. Thank you, and uh, uh, thank you for your decisions not to take up such a divisive resolution. The next speaker is Deborah Howell. Please unmute. Hello. I'm registry coordinator with the Marin Center for Independent Living. I request that you establish a path to a $26 per hour wage for IHSS caregivers. I am a former IHSS caregiver, so I experienced firsthand how hard it was to afford to live in Marin County when my wages were so low. It is even harder now for IHSS caregivers than when I was a caregiver. I am also a former IHSS consumer the care that I received was essential for my survival from my caregivers who were IHSS caregivers. IHSS caregivers doing this vital work with older adults and people with disabilities are paid uh, $18 per hour currently. Fast food workers, uh, wage in California has been raised to $25 per hour. Please keep moving in the right direction to establish a path to a $26 Thank per you. Thank you, Deborah. Thank you. Person Rodani, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Thank you. Go ahead. Good morning, Board of Supervisors. Uh, I'm a, my name is Isabel Doucette. I'm a mother of two children here in Marin County, two and six. And for the past nearly five months now, I've been witnessing in the palm of my hand 
what the world's highest court has described as a plausible genocide. And let me remind you, Gaza is half children, a plausible genocide against children. And what I've seen in the past, I mean, children on, in, on my phone, I'm seeing children starving right now, starving, babies that are younger than this war, two month old. I've seen children who were, who were for, for, forced to, premature babies who were forced to be abandoned in hospitals have their decomposing corpses because the Israeli army forced the hospital workers to abandon them. I've witnessed children who were blown out of houses and whose corpses are hanging from, from a fence and their legs blown off. Children that are the same age as my own children. I've seen children with their heads blown off. I've, I've just seen, I've seen enough. This is a moral stain that will haunt me and should haunt you for the rest of your Thank lives you. because we are, our tax dollars are aiding and abetting this Thank crime. You. And I'd like to reclaim a, a minute after. Thank you. After agenda item nine, you're welcome to. Hello. Hi. My name is Nate. I'm here again because, well, as she said very eloquently, the deliberate mass slaughter of Palestinians, half of whom children, still continues. And I'm here to adopt you or to urge you to adopt a ceasefire resolution. It's difficult to communicate how profoundly disappointed I am and repeatedly disappointed in you in you five choosing not to do anything, even something a little bit symbolic in the face of this genocide, while there are, as one of the previous speakers indicated, Air Force members who have at least the courage and bravery to do something while you five repeatedly choose to do nothing because it would be mildly inconvenient to do so. I urge and adopt, I urge you to adopt a ceasefire resolution. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, Board of Supervisors. My name is Erica. Um, you've heard a lot of information about what is happening in Gaza and you've ignored it, which is bewildering, frankly. Marin County should be on the right side of history and propose and pass an immediate and permanent ceasefire resolution. I further implore you to stop sending our tax money to fund atrocities in Gaza. The ongoing genocide and miming and starvation of civilians needs to stop. Marin needs to do our part, even if symbolically, let them know that we have not forgotten them. Propose and pass a ceasefire resolution. It's the absolute minimum. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, your constituents have been asking you for months to pass a ceasefire resolution. I just want you to want to remind you that your job is to represent us. Um, our tax dollars are being used to drop bombs on kids. And all we're asking you to do is to make a statement on our behalf saying that we're not okay with this. This isn't commenting on world issues. We are involved in this and this is a Marin issue. I also want to point out that our tax dollars are not being used to fund Hamas in this conflict. So naturally our requests are not going to focus on Hamas's role in the conflict. Um, it would be a fallacious inference to say that that's what our position is. What we're supporting is peace. And what we're asking you to do is to stand for peace. That's all. Thank you. Thank you for your patience and for your compassion. 
Uh, I am Jewish and I'm from Israel and my children are there and my brothers and sisters are there. Carrying out this Holocaust is not gonna make Jews safer. It's not gonna make Israelis safer. It's not gonna make Americans safer, okay? I'm just, I know, I'm not blaming you guys. You guys, I know it's not your job, but every action that we take can make a difference and save lives. So please call for peace and for a ceasefire. Um, what the speaker said earlier was inaccurate about October 7th and October 6th. That's all I'm going to say. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, my name is Ava Aubeck, and I was born and raised in Marin, and I'm currently a resident in Terralinda. I'm in full support of a resolution calling for an immediate and permanent ceasefire in Palestine and the full liberation and freedom of the Palestinian people. Too many innocent lives have been lost as we debate a ceasefire resolution with 144 days passed and over 30,000 Palestinians murdered by the colonial settler state of Israel with numbers much, likely much higher, not counting the sick and injured. Starvation is extremely rampant, especially among children who are the most vulnerable. And this is a direct cause of Israeli restrictions on aid entering. This is not a tragedy, it is man-made. Starvation is being forced upon the people of Gaza by the Israeli occupation forces. I wanna take this time to honor all the martyrs in Palestine and Arid Bushnell, a 25-year-old active duty member of the US military who sacrificed his life in a profound act of protest against the US participation and complicity in the genocide of Gaza. Let us witness these martyrs. Let Aaron's last words of free Palestine and last act burn brightly in our conscience. Let us propel us Thank to you. move um, our commitment and struggle for free Palestine. Yeah. Thank you. Hi, good morning. Um, my name is Kiri McClellan and I live in San Rafael. Um, this is, I've, we've lived here now for 16 years and this is the first Board of Supervisors meeting I've ever come to. And I'm here um, because I have an adult disabled son who I care for, I am the IHSS worker. And uh, I know you're well-versed in my reality. You've heard from folks who are workers um, and are, are doing this hard work. Um, my perspective, it's also not a choice. I can't really work outside of the home because of the time required. So this is my full-time job, um, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And we're just sort of beholden to what the county can do and I appreciate everything that you're doing, but I also wanna encourage you, there's a lot we can't control, but this is within your means to do something bold here. Put Marin County on the map within the state nationally. Show leadership that you value our children, those in the community and our work um, in the realm that you can do something. And so I appreciate the time. I wanna commend the union for the advocacy and all the other nonprofits that are here on our behalf. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Last speaker in the chamber. Good morning. My name's Oasa. Um, I was struggling to find the words um, that I wanted to share with you all regarding the genocide that's happening in Gaza. So I wanted to um, share some words from Miriam, who is in Gaza. Um, she says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed to say that I'm hungry. Sometimes I dream of eating my favorite meal, but I taste nothing. And then I wake up and cry. I'm not ashamed to say I'm afraid of death, scared of airstrikes, shivering from the cold at night and having nightmares every day. I'm not ashamed to say I'm getting sick all the time. My body is weak, skinny, and my beauty is fading. I'm not ashamed to say I'm poor and homeless. My house is gone and no future ahead. 
I'm not ashamed to say I don't have proper water to clean myself like I used to, and my hair is not soft anymore. I'm not ashamed to say that I don't have the least basic needs any girl should have in her life. But I'm ashamed of the people who look away and continue their lives like nothing is happening while we're, bit, we're being butchered and starved for the past 144 days in Gaza. Please call for a ceasefire. Thank you. Thank you. All right, I'm gonna bring it back to the agenda and thank everyone who spoke today. Um, thank you for coming out. And anyone that wants additional time, again, after agenda item nine, we'll allow you to have a second minute if you want it, but you'll have to wait around for that agenda item to finish. Uh, going to item three, Board of Supervisor Matters, and I'm gonna start with Supervisor Moulton Peters, please. Thank you, President Rodoni. I have uh, a few items. I wanna acknowledge the ongoing celebration of Black History Month, this month of February. There have been many uh, events, celebrations, book readings, art exhibits to acknowledge the many contributions of African-Americans to every aspect of American life. I want to acknowledge uh, the Women's Hall of Fame dinner that was this month. We honored Marin City resident Kelly Ebony McKinley, who started uh, My Sister's Keeper, a peer-led organization, mutual support group for marginalized women in Marin City and Marin County. Kelly, who started a wonderful organization there. Uh, additionally, uh, Felicia Gaston brought us all the um, legacy of Marin City, a California black history story at the Marin County Office of Education. We talked about that. That exhibit is still uh, visible through May 31st. And then finally, different topics, sea level rise. Uh, this uh, Thursday evening, Caltrans will hold an initial public meeting on a sea level rise project, they will start to address sea level rise and flooding from Marin City to Manzanita in Tam Valley. That's online this Thursday, September 29th at 6, 6 p.m. Uh, and the link is on uh, my webpage, on the county website, and in my newsletter. And that's what I have. Thank you. Thank you. Supervisor Sackett. Yes, just um, a quick update regarding the Marin Bicycle Safety Dashboard. Um, as you know, we've been tracking since October the number of e-bike injuries um, in Marin County hospitals and trauma centers. And um, one of the issues we've been focusing on is the 10 to 15-year-olds, and we have separated that data for the 10 to 15-year-olds. from um, Previously, it was 10 to 19. Um, and so we're continuing to look at that. We'll talk about that a little bit more on the um, local road safety plan, but just wanna let you all know that that data is available and the 10 to 15 year olds are the highest per capita rate of accidents on e-bikes. Thank you. Supervisor Wright. Yeah, thank you. Um, one quick follow-up and question to Supervisor Sackett. Does the data dashboard include um, all age groups? It does include all age groups, yes. Thank you. Um, yeah, so this morning, three things for me. Um, one, wanted to ask Matthew if perhaps you or Talia, somebody from the, your alleged team could maybe come back in, in under your county executive's report, maybe just provide a little bit of information regarding AT&T's application to um, remove themselves, their obligation to be the carrier of last resort. And this is a um, issue that's before the 
CPUC right now. I believe they are taking public comment. I believe that the county has commented, but I do have, um, we all have residents, I think, inquiring about this and concerned about the potential loss of landline services. So either today or at a later date, I just want to make sure we're really understanding also what it would mean for Marin County residents yes. and that we're doing what we can to advocate on our residents' behalf. I'd be happy to follow up on that maybe next week's uh, executive agenda. Perfect. Mm -hmm. And then um, also just wanted to make note of the Federation of San Rafael Neighborhoods. They held their annual meeting over the weekend. This is a coalition of neighborhoods. I think it's 30 or 31 or two neighborhoods across the city of San Ra Sandy of San Rafael, incorporated and unincorporated. Uh, and the Federation basically works to um, coalesce voices, share information and advocate on the on behalf of collective uh, values and interests of various San Rafael neighborhoods. And it was a great meeting. And then lastly, wanted to introduce um, my newest aide, um, Zach DeLeon, who is joining Team D2. And he comes to us from the Sonoma County Economic Development Board, where he's been working over the past year. He's a Sonoma State grad and a San Anselmo resident. And so now my team is back full. And that's it. Thank you. Supervisor Lucas. Uh, yes, uh, just two quick updates. Uh, since our last meeting, um, I attended along with um, members from the county team and Supervisor Sackett, uh, Marin Economic Forum's forecasts in the future. Uh, to just do a quick summary of that. Uh, last year's, I think, big takeaway was we think a recession is coming, um, but it didn't come, which was good news. Uh, this year, the I think the quick summary is we don't believe a recession is in store for this year. So hopefully that uh, holds true. Pretty good economic uh, indicators uh, looking for the year ahead, although they did um, mention geopolitical risks and it being an election year. But uh, all that, all the economic indicators are looking um, pretty steady for this year. Uh, and then secondly, uh, the week before last, I attended along with some, my team and some members from uh, Department of Public Works, uh, the Nosfield Community Association Monthly Breakfast. I want to thank uh, Director uh, Rosemary Gaglioni for being there, Paul, uh, Pauletta Jordan, as well as Dan Jensen, uh, to just hear from the community that uses the airport there, some of their uh, positive feedback concerns. Uh, it, was, it was good relationship building. We we'll just want to thank uh, the team for being out there to, uh, to hear from the users of the airport. That's all my updates. Great. Thank you. Um, so a couple things is report the Marin Chinese Cultural Association at the Year of Their Dragon celebration and Supervisor Lucan and Sackett and I all attended. Thanks, thanks to that group. Um, also want to recognize that on February 22nd, the American Public Works Association NorCal chapter presented Rachel Colvert with an award for Emergency Public Works Manager. So congratulations to Rachel. She worked through 16 landslides of various degrees during the 2023 storm system, had multiple atmospheric rivers that came through. And as you recall, there was an emergency, emergency declaration in Marin. Rachel seemed to be everywhere at once, assessing the damage and creating a path towards the repair. She staggered the design and construction projects so not all would be at any one stage at the same time, allowing staff to keep up. She also secured $13 million in emergency funding to help pay for this work. Rachel put in lots of hours and never complained. So thank you so much, Rachel and the DPW team. Matthew. Good morning, supervisors. Just a brief report. Um, first, I just wanna highlight a couple of the agenda update items, uh, minor adjustments to our agenda on item seven. 
uh, we did revise the recommended action to include that we would uh, set the uh, final adoption on the consent calendar next week, as is our custom on second readings. And then on item CA2C, we submitted the final MOU um, agreement with the courts. And the only change was a signature page. So we had the presiding judge signature. So just to point out, there's no substantive change to that other than the signature. And with that, I'll turn it over to Talia Smith, our legislative coordinator, and she's going to give an update on our potential federal shutdown. Good morning, board. Uh, and if I may, just want to start by also congratulating Rachel Calvert. She's been a terrific partner to the legislative team. Uh, I have a very brief presentation to you all this morning just on the federal budget and possible shutdown. We do not know today on the 27th that there will be a shutdown, uh, but we just wanted to provide your board an update on the status as well as potential impacts to here at Moraine County. So the federal fiscal year runs from October 1 to September 30th. Uh, we are currently in the federal fiscal year 2024, which means it began October 1, 23, and will run until September 30th, 2024. The, they have actually yet to pass an actual federal budget for the current year. So since September 30th, we have actually been operating under what are called continuing resolutions. And what that is, is a short-term agreement for a defined period of time that actually continues funding levels as they were. So a, a continuing resolution is not a federal budget, however, does allow the government to, re to remain open. So, uh, in the last few months, there have been three such agreements for continuing resolutions starting in September. And actually that resolution that was agreed to by the House Speaker, Kevin McCarthy at the time, uh, did result in a change in the speakership. In November, there was another agreement to a continuing resolution uh, through uh, January and February. They actually divided the agencies. And then today we are actually still funded under a continuing continuing resolution, a CR, that was passed in January, and that funds agencies through March 1st, that's this Friday is the first deadline, and then March 8th. So the agencies are listed on your sheet, uh, which ones are funded through the first and which ones through the eighth. Um, essentially, if no new continuing resolution is passed, there will be a partial federal government shutdown. And I will just uh, briefly state uh, what that might mean here to counties and to Marin. Uh, essentially, agencies will have to only operate essential functions. And it's actually the White House Office of Management and Budget that defines when those are what those are. So that actually looks different um, depending on the administration during a shutdown. On the second page, you'll see there have actually been five shutdowns since 1995, most recently in December 2018 to January 2019. That was during the Trump administration. There, that was actually the longest federal shutdown in history. We have not had a shutdown since then. So impacts to counties actually really just depend on the length of the shutdown. Uh, if it's a week, there will likely be almost no felt impacts to counties. Um, I wanted to start by just including there's several safety net programs, so federal entitlement programs that do receive federal funding uh, that could be impacted in the event of a longer shutdown. But also those impacts really vary state to state because a state like California is actually going to 
um, fund those programs and back fund what the federal government may stop funding so that benefits are not disrupted for individuals that need them. Some of these really important programs include SNAP, so this is also known as CalFresh in California, WIC, um, and the Temporary Assistance for Needy Families, also known as CalWORKs. So again, really just depends on the length of the shutdown. Um, and in California, we very have a high likelihood the state will step in again and fund those. I do wanna note that there are several key programs that are important to your board and our functions here in the county uh, that will not stop um, being funded during a shutdown. That includes Section 8 housing vouchers um, and other public housing that will continue to operate and be funded. Uh, and then federal transportation, uh, we don't quite, I think, have an airport with TSA agents and we're in, uh, but that is one of the um, key questions in a shutdown is what happens. Airports do keep running. Finally, probably one of the um, biggest impacts to Marin may be the closure of federal and national park lands. So this would include Point Reyes National Seashore, uh, the Golden Gate National Recreation Area, as well as Muir Woods. Those parks could all close in a shutdown. Uh, it depends on essentially what the Biden administration issues as guidance as to what that shutdown would mean. During the Trump administration, they issued guidance to keep the parks open. However, all the employees that were maintaining the parks obviously were not uh, working. So uh, we will look for impacts during the last uh, shutdown. I did actually speak with our fire department. Uh, there were some impacts in terms of uh, garbage not being serviced, bathrooms not being serviced, uh, and a, a spillover impact potentially to West Marine communities. So of course we will monitor this. And then finally, the last piece I just wanted to highlight is that until we actually have a fiscal year 2024 budget, uh, we have some pending earmarks that really could benefit Marin, uh, but are not assured until we actually have that final budget. And not just that piece, but that final budget that's agreed to has to also include congressionally directed spending or earmarks. So I've listed here some of the key projects in Marin uh, that could benefit. One is actually an Army Corps of Engineers, 1.8 million for the Hamilton Wetlands Restoration. Uh, there's 2 million for uh, North Bay Dairy Community Transition Assistance, that was under Representative Huffman, as well as 2.7 million for uh, the Point Reyes Senior Housing Development, that would have been for Eden Housing. Uh, and some additional ones here, and a joint earmark request from Representative Huffman and Thompson for uh, major investments uh, for State Route 37 for the Tole Creek Bridge replacement. So of course, uh, we look forward to a final fiscal year 2024 bill that would also make all of these earmarks uh, permanently funded. With that, I'm available to answer any questions from your board. Thank you. Questions of Talia or Matthew? Supervisor Sackett. Just real quick, Talia, is would the IHSS federal match be impacted if there's a shutdown? That's a good question. I would need to follow up on that. That would very likely um, fall into the category of something that the state of California may go ahead and fund. And there also is guidance essentially that states that step in and fund pieces that the federal government has stopped funding, they can get reimbursed by the federal government. Any other questions? No, I was just going to mention, you know, during the last shutdowns, they weren't impacted because it's part of the Medi-Cal program. So I, I oh. wouldn't expect that to be a, a disrupted service. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, we're gonna take uh, any comments on the Board of Supervisors matter or administrator's report and we'll go online first, Al. The first speaker is Donna Fife, please unmute. Hi, um, in the previous meeting, you all were notified and invited to participate in a demo election on January 27th, 2014 in Nevada, a demonstration of how a precinct election works in action. None of you chose to participate. I'm here to report it was a great success. The ballots asked three questions. Voters were excited to participate and felt the event was conducted professionally. All ballots were counted by volunteers in record time. 100% of the participants who provided feedback on their experience wanted one day voting at local precincts, voter ID, paper ballots, and votes counted on election day. Um, please consider this option. Um, and I'd also like to welcome Derek Johnson. Thank you very much. The next speaker is Raleigh, please unmute. Good morning, <clears throat> Raleigh Katzman Association of Public Employees. I want to second Supervisor Rice's point about the AT&T effort to get rid of landlines and hope that the you know, board will take us position opposing that. Thank you. President Rodani, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Thank you. I'm going to invite anyone in the chamber to come up, please. Two minutes, please. Thank you. I, I appreciate the presentation from Talia Smith. I do think that she had a responsibility to make some corrections to her last presentation that she gave to the board, and this was regarding Proposition 1. Um, since the time Ms. Smith um, gave a very sparse presentation of Proposition 1, the ACLU has come out swinging against it. I would like to point out um, that Ms. Smith um, repeated in her Could presentation. You this comments is, to us? Yes, I am making them to you. You don't need yes. to name anyone. Okay, well, this is your team. I get so it. So it is relevant. Yep. Okay. So she made a claim. And by the way, I'd like to reclaim my time for being interrupted. Uh, she made a claim that there was a serious shortage of treatment beds. But as Rob Whitepond, who's an investigative journalist, who's, who's written numerous articles and books on this matter, there's actually been an incredible increase in psychiatric treatment beds. The problem is the treatment sucks. It's not working. Uh, there's just a new study today that shows uh, an increase of suicidality, of actual successful suicides uh, up between 330-fold and 200 and 60-fold increase post-psychiatric discharge. So, um, you know, what Governor, uh, what Governor Newsom's uh, deceptive proposition is going to do is basically just target the poorest uh, minorities and women um, for basically more institutionalization. Now, this can affect all sorts of people. It, it wouldn't necessarily only be one group or another, but we've seen how uh, these involuntary treatments have failed over and over again. And yet you guys, you know, supported it. You, you had a resolution to support it because, you know, Gavin Newsom is very powerful in this county. We've seen his, his buddies appointed to boards here. Um, it's, it's, you know, this proposition is dangerous. It's going to result in many more suicides from people who are Thank forced you. into these treatments. Thank you. And I would like to also just briefly point out that you 
voted to support this 12 days after Felicia Wyatt died in that jail. More involuntary treatment. It kills. Thank you. All right. Bring it back to staff for any further comments. All right. We're going to move to item four, which is our consent calendar A. Um, before we take up the consent calendars, I want to open the public comment on both consent calendars A or B. And first on Zoom. Any public so, comment on consent calendar A or B, Al? Professor Rodoni, there are no speakers in the queue. Coming back to the chamber, opportunity for anyone to comment on consent calendar A or B. Okay, seeing no one, they're going to bring it to the board. Okay, quickly, please. I noticed that you have uh, an item for an upgrade at the Marin County Jail. I believe that's consent A. I'd like to point out there are still no answers um, regarding um, investigations of the three uh, inmate deaths at the Marin County Jail, the model Marin County Jail. Uh, the deaths in the Marin County Jail are such that we now have a higher per inmate death rate in the Marin County Jail than you have at Rikers Island and a higher per inmate death rate than you have at Santa Rita. That's extreme. Uh, none of these investigations have been made available to the public. Uh, the hanging, there was a hanging death in August, 2023. There was a subsequent hanging death, I think, uh, I think it was October, early October, 2023. And we just had another death um, this year. And trying to get any information on the investigations, completely stymied. The first hanging death, that investigation should already have been made available to the public. We spend a lot of money in that jail. You look at the overtime that some of the deputies are making in there, over $200,000 a year with their overtime. We deserve an accounting of how people placed in that jail, especially after your involuntary psych med program, are dying. And let me point this out, whether someone was subjected to the involuntary psych med program or not, the problem, and your own staff said it when they were doing the presentation, deputies like the program because it makes the jail quieter. They should never have said that, by the way, but they told the truth. Um, the thing is, when you make the jail quieter, what you do is you lull um, the deputies into not checking the cells. And that may really be a cause of the last, or a factor in all of the last three yeah. deaths. Thank you. We're gonna bring it back to the board. Does anyone wanna pull a consent item from A? I do just from, I don't want to pull CA2A, but I just want to mention, appreciate the Ride Green program update and making a couple tweets, tweaks to make that um, even um, stronger, but also want to just um, mention that I hope that we can continue to do a deeper dive in that Ride Green program and how we can use it um, as a retention tool in our um, county workforce as well. But with that, I will move adoption of consent calendar no, A. It's been moved and second. We approve consent calendar A. All those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? That motion's carried. Moving on to consent calendar B now. Does anyone want to pull an item from consent calendar B? If not, can I have a motion, please? 
I'll move consent B. Second. Been moved and second. We approve consent B. All those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? That motion is carried. And now we're going on to item seven, which is a proposal from Community Development Agency to conduct a public hearing on a proposed ordinance regarding the building permit requirements for floating homes. And looking for a staff report. Sarah, do you want to just introduce it? Uh, good morning, Supervisors. Sarah Jones, Community Development Agency Director. I'll just make a brief introduction and then turn it over to our Chief Building Official, Bill Kelly. Uh, as you know, some of Marin's I, so, some Marin residents live on the water uh, in floating homes, and uh, we we have zoning, we have building requirements uh, for homes that float as well as homes that sit on a foundation on land. I, some of the things uh, that we need to consider are the same uh, for floating homes as they are for others. But uh, there are unique circumstances about this type of housing. They are uh, in close quarters with each other. They are uh, owned properties in rented berths uh, that are managed by marinas. So it's a little bit complex. Uh, this legislation that's before you is specifically about kind of making sure that there is an ongoing chain of accountability and oversight when somebody is proposing and uh, establishing a new floating home. So we review their, uh, we re review their building permit application, uh, look at it uh, according to the zoning, uh, and then ultimately bring forward the same kinds of uh, building inspection regulations. But the missing piece was making sure that we know what's happening when the floating home is um, is getting moved into the berth. And that's what this piece of legislation is about. And I will turn it over to Bill to go over further. Yes, thank you. Um, Marin County Code has for decades um, had requirements in Title 22 as well as Title 19, Marin County Code uh, for floating home permits. However, it has never been specified until now what exact permits are needed for what aspect of a floating home. So this legislation that we're asking you to adopt or hear today is just to clarify um, in county code what these permit requirements are. So we're including four different permit requirements, one for floating home relocation, when a floating home is proposed to be moved within marine waters, a different one for floating home construction or remodeling, which is the floating home permit that we're all used to, um, a barge transfer permit, which is when someone wants to replace the barge on an existing floating home. This is not new. And a floating home occupancy transfer permit, which is simply when a floating home changes ownership and new occupants um, move in. That's our process. So none of these requirements are new. This is our protocol we've been doing for, for you know, our established protocol. But it's never appeared in Marin County Code as to what exact permit is needed for what exact uh, action. So we're hoping that this is a helpful um, piece of codification. It's really more of a housekeeping, I think, for our code. Great. Thank you. Questions of board members? Who has them all repeated? You know, uh, 
I want to thank you, Bill, and you as well, Sarah, for bringing this to us so early in the year and just share. Um, it responds to a change that's going on in the marinas where we used to have one arc manufacturer who built all of the arcs, were, and now we have them moving in from other marinas that have closed. So when we had one local boat builder, as it were, we didn't need this kind of standardization because the process worked in a sort of organic fashion. But now that we have people bringing boats in from other communities, it's important to have the standards clarified and made very transparent. So that's what's going on here, and I, I want to thank you. No questions, but I think you've been very responsive to the need that's developed. Thank you. Anyone else? Okay. So we're going to go to the public now for public comment on this item. Online first, Al? President Rodani, there are no speakers in the queue. I see no one in the chamber at this point. So we're going to bring it back to the board, and we're looking for a motion to approve the introduction of the ordinance and place it on the March 5th consent calendar I for adoption. I would make that motion. Then moved. Second. Then moved and second. All those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? That motion's carried. Carried. Thank you. Thank you very much. Item number eight is a proposal from the Community Development Agency to adopt a resolution extending the previous delegation of authority to the CDA director and the public works director to waive and reduce eligible fees or fees mm -hmm. for eligible accessory dwelling units or junior accessory dwelling units through December 31st, 2024. Lili. Good morning, board members. Lili Thomas with the Community Development Agency. And the item before you is both an extension of a fee waiver for accessory dwelling units, as you mentioned, and it's also um, implementation of a program four from our certified housing element. Um, and this follows up on the action that your board recently took to join the accessory dwelling unit or ADU center. Both are intended to facilitate and encourage um, accessory dwelling units as one way, just as a tool in our toolbox for meeting our housing needs. And with that, I'll turn it over to Aline to give a, a presentation on it. Thank you, Lily. Good morning, board members. Aline with the Housing and Federal Grants Division. And as Lily mentioned, we're here today with a resolution to propose an extension to our already existing ADU fee waiver program. So the proposed resolution would apply from January 1st of this year through the end of the calendar year, so through December 31st. Uh, just for a quick high-level background, the fee waiver was first introduced back in 2017 in response to the North Bay wildfires and the impact on housing in Marin. Um, it has since then grown and been um, extended several times, most recently back in 2021, which applied through December of last year. Um, along with the fee waiver programs, there have been a lot of actions at the state to ease the development of second units of ADUs and JDUs. So this is complementing those changes to code, which your board recently approved back in January. So those were implemented into the Marin County Development Code as well. Um, so just for some high-level data, the county has permitted on average about 32 to 37 building permits for ADUs and JDUs annually. Um, since the inception of the program, we've seen an increase in the number of applications and interest in ADUs, um, starting with about 35 applications in 2019 
which uh, grew at a highest peak of 154 in 2021. And now we're at about 97 um, in last year and 81 in, sorry, 2023. Um, so in the last few years, we've given a number of fee waivers for the development of ADUs, uh, 2022, 40 permits, or sorry, waivers were given totaling just under 100,000. And that grew in 2023 um, to over $120,000 in waivers. Um, and as Lily mentioned, along with the growing number of resources being brought on through the ADU Center, we anticipate um, additional interest in ADU development in Marin. Um, and with that, we're happy to answer any questions. Questions, Supervisor Rice. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, just a quick question, um, actually a, a refresher, memory refresher. So the in terms, anybody who's, uh, folks who are taking advantage or who qualify and are um, able to get a fee waiver at whatever level for whatever reason, do we, um, do we, do we circle back? Do we have a rental registry that actually sort of takes an accounting from year to year as to whether or not those units are actually being rented at all? And are they required to be rented and leased out as, as a long-term residence if they receive a, a fee waiver of any type? Yeah, so at this time, um, the we do have a rental registry, but ADUs are exempt from that registry. Um, the mechanism for ensuring affordability at this time is through deed restriction on the property. And we do at this time require um, that we be notified if there's a 60 day vacancy for that unit to, and ensure that the next unit that the next tenant would be rented at that same income level. But, but to clarify, there's two levels of fee waivers mm -hmm. and the lower fee waiver, the 25 up to $2,500, that does not require the deed restriction for affordability. We all waive up to $10,000 per um, unit if they are gonna rent it affordably. Um, and that's when we would require the deed restriction. And as you'll note, we've, I think we've only had one taker on that. So one thing that we have been thinking about is how we can structure the program, restructure the program and make it more effective, including things like that. And so we think that it's best to just continue forward as is until we have some more data from the ADU Center and get their advice. And then next year, when we reconsider this, we'll be looking at revamping it and making adjustments to based on the data and what we've learned from from having the expertise of the AD Center. Okay, that and that makes a lot of sense. I wouldn't. I wasn't going to suggest changing anything today. Um, and I also do think to put you know on that list of things to consider is to including ADUs in um, our registry. Yeah, I have a couple of questions. Um, I appreciate the data of the number of applications over the last couple of years. Um, I'd love to know how many of those applications got to completion and were built. And, you know, also, and maybe this will come through the center as that happens, but how long is it taking for, for these projects to get approved and even looking for trends in the ones that aren't approved? Um, or that aren't built. Yeah, so we did include applications to show you the interest coming from the community. 
Um, as mentioned in the verbal presentation, the counties issued about 32 to 37 building permits per year. That increased a little bit in the last year, it was 56 in 2023. Um, the building department's getting a lot more assistance, they're growing, um, and I think that's directly tied to how many that they're permitting. And, and I, I would follow up is, are those, even of those 56 issued, are they all getting built? Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I, I think that we'd have to get back to you on that. I, one thing that we have seen um, is that people will come in with an application, but then when they get to actually building it, that's the barrier is the cost in building an ADU. Um, if you look at that, we have that calculator on the ADU Marin website that you can put in your address and just some rough parameters to get an idea about how much it would cost to build them and they're they're really expensive. And so that is really the barrier that we're seeing most frequently uh, besides the things in West Marin, which is septic, right? But, but most barrier that we're seeing is the cost of actually building your unit. And so one of the things that we hope to explore is something that Napa County has done where they have a loan program to help people with and I think that they work with Bank of Marin and they have a loan program that helps with um, building ADUs. And so we're hoping that we'll be able to replicate something like that. Yeah, thanks for that further clarification. I just wonder, are we keeping track of results, actual built, and is that going on a, some sort of reporting or data? Yeah, we, we do through our annual progress report for the housing element and we'll be bringing that to your board next month. Great, so we'll have more detailed data. Uh, yeah, one question that did come to mind for for what we define as kind of the, the statewide exempted uh, ADUs. Do we have a rough ballpark on what a, a fee, a county fee, would actually be for one of those? Um, I think there's a couple of factors there, whether or not it's in West Marin Coastal Zone, all of that. But I think ballpark of roughly in county fees, you're asking. Mm -hmm. I think roughly 20,000, if not higher. For, for the, just as a building permit, if, if it's, if it's a state exempted, wouldn't it just be a building permit? Oh yeah. Sorry. I thought you meant generally all the fees. Oh yeah. Uh, the, I think closer to 10 or 8,000 to 10,000. Closer to 10. Okay. And, and if it, is that with sewer involved or I mean, septic as opposed to sewer, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, you know, for to try to incentivize somebody to take advantage of the ten thousand um, uh, dollars affordability level, that the the eighty percent affordability level. If they're just building a very small seven hundred fifty square foot connecting to sewer, are they going to have ten thousand dollars of fees from the county for that? Yeah, I think I think we are seeing that. I I think that the barrier that we're seeing is less the amount of fee waiver as an incentive and more the affordability restriction that we have on it. Because those ones we were using housing trust, which would require an affordability restriction, and so that is what we're seeing the barrier of it. When people were like, "Oh, that's a big trade off." When you think of you know you're building an ADU for four hundred thousand dollars, you know, for the cost of developing a new unit, and we're going to give you ten thousand dollar fee waiver, and then we're going to ask you for this long term deed restriction. So I think that that's one of the things that we hope to have. Um, Scott from the ADU Center really explore with us and look at more like how are we incentivizing those ones that can be rented. We are, you know, one thing that we're working with is in Bolinas where the BCLT, the Bolinas Community Land Trust, 
is going to, they're going to receive Measure W funds to um, help with a accessory dwelling unit, and then they're going to do the monitoring of it. So looking for partnerships like that, I think, with our with our nonprofits to help with the monitoring. Gotcha. And, and the waiver amount can cover any county cost. So even if the building permit for a, a small ADU is, say, less than 10000 maybe it's not, would they be able to use that for other fees? Uh for county fees, Co county fees, county fees, DPW fees, or some, it can be applied to like traffic mitigation fees and other fees. Okay, great, thank you. Perfect, thank you. Um, Sonoma ADU and that contract, I know it's fairly new, but at some point in the near future, probably a report on how how that partnership is working would be great at appropriate time. Yeah, they're, they're doing really a kickoff next month. They've been kind of staffing up and getting familiar with our code, et cetera. And next month is when we'll be doing outreach. Um, we'll be working with all of you and your aides to, to make sure that that word gets out. And then, yes, we'd like to follow up and, and give you feedback on Great. it. Next month. Thank you. We're going to go online to public comment now. Person Rodoni, there are no speakers in the queue. And I'm seeing no one in the chamber, so we can go ahead and move this item if anyone wishes. I'll move the item. Second. Been moved and second. All those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries. All right. Figure out where I'm at here. So we're looking at appointments, item nine now. And we want to open for public comment on any of the appointments under item nine at this point. Al, anyone online? Russell Rodani, there are no speakers in the queue. And I see no one in the chamber at this point, so I'm going to bring it back to the board. The first one is a commission on aging appointment. This is to the state senior legislature, and Alan Bortel is the active member and is asking to be reappointed. I'll move the reappointment of Mr. Bortel. Second. Thank you. It's been moved and second. We approve uh, Mr. Bortel. All those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? That motion is carried. And we have a vacancy on um, with a city of Mill Valley recommendation for the Commission on Aging. This is just a formal approval of our, by our board. I'll move the uh, reappointment of Christy Denton Cohen. Second. Then moved and second. We make this appointment. All those in favor say aye. 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 Okay. The next item is item three or I, I, I. I don't know what that is. We're going from. I's the B's here, so it's really trying to confuse me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll move uh, the appoint reappointment of Jane Gould. Second. Very, very good. Thank you. We have a motion and a second. All those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carried. Disaster Corps, uh, one vacancy to, to, to the expiration of Beverly Airborne. And there was an application received from Robert Gaines, who is also the American Red Cross appointee. On my behalf, would someone move this, please? I'll move the appointment of Robert Gaines. Second. All those, okay, we have a motion and a second. All those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed, that motion is carried. The last one is the Marin, Sonoma, Mosquito, and Vector Control District, a vacancy of Ed Schultz, and he has reapplied for a reappointment. I'll move the reappointment of Ed Schultz. I'll second. Then moved and second, we reappoint Ed Schultz. All those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Those motions are carried. And now we're moving on to a potentially closed session. But first, I want to go and take comments uh, that are leftover comments from open time and or the closed session items. And I see we have one person online. 
Donna, welcome back. Um, going back to Declaration 12, uh, uh, Count 8, it is known that the Secretary of State of the State of Georgia, Brad Raffensperger, has visited Nevada and contacted numerous California county clerks and state officials to support their actions to continue a false narrative to the citizens of New California and California State that the election systems are fine. We now know the Rassenberger California County and state officials narrowed narrative is a deliberate lie. The fraudulent California um, election system goes back 30 years, yet the most erroneous error between 2018 and 2022 must be addressed. This will not be addressed by the current totalitarian communist government of California unless we the people act and demand that they be decertified now. There are legal ways to demand decertification and the same time force counties to utilize paper ballots, same day elections, which was successfully demonstrated January 27th by the great state of California. This ends the reading of count number eight. I also have additional concerns about elections. We know that the election systems are connected to the internet. Voter rules are not up to date. We're unclear about where undeliverable return sample ballots and ballots are removed from the voter rolls. There's warehouse issues, the three separate places in the civic center, instead of in the logistics cage downstairs in the basement. There's chain of custody issues. A recent zero report session demonstrated that the manual manipulation of reports is possible. In a recent election, there was a delay of four days in counting ballots due to inadequate staffing, creating an air of suspicion. It is your responsibility as Board of Supervisors to ensure Marin has fair and transparent elections. Thank you very much for your time. And I would like to protest the fact that our time was split. Thank you very much. The next speaker is Raleigh, please unmute. Raleigh Katzmer, Association of Public Employees. I joined the meeting late. I had hoped to congratulate Mr. Johnson on his appointments county executive. And uh, so I'm Doing so a little bit late. Thank you very much. Thank you, Raleigh. Professor Rodani, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Okay, there's no one in the chamber for this item. So we're going to adjourn to closed session at 12, 12 noon, and then we'll reconvene at 1.30 in open session. Thank you all.
All right, we're going to reconvene in open session, and there's no announcement out of closed session today. Our next item is item 11, and this is a request from the Department of Public Works to receive a presentation and adopt a resolution regarding the Marin County Local Road Safety Plan. And I see staff here, so welcome. Good afternoon, President Rodoni and members of the board. My name is Farid Javandel. I'm the Transportation Division Manager for Public Works. And next slide, please. Oh, one more. All right. Uh, I'm going to give you a brief outline of what we're going over today, the local road safety plan, which includes a Vision Zero goal, a little bit more about Vision Zero, uh, why we want to focus on speed and what we can do about speed, and some of the next steps uh, for the local road safety plan and for Vision Zero. So next slide. First off, a local road safety plan or LRSP is a framework to identify, analyze, and prioritize safety needs and improvements for all road users. It qualifies an agency for certain federal funds like the Safe Streets for All program, um, which we will be applying for and I'll talk briefly about that later. Um, the LRSP was uh, undertaken by the Transportation Authority of Marin with the County of Marin and the 11 cities and towns in the county and was adopted by the TAM board on January 25th with the recommendation that individual agencies also adopt it. So that's what we're here for today. Next slide. Chapter 18 of the local road safety plan uh, is specific to the unincorporated portion of Marin County and includes a vision statement that we've got uh, shown here that unincorporated Marin strives to eliminate collision-related fatalities and severe injuries by proactively and equitably pursuing a safe systems approach, prioritizing road safety for all users. And next slide, please. This goes on to uh, have four specific goals. And the first is really our vision zero statement, systematically implement proven safety solutions, initiatives, policies, and programs to eliminate preventable fatal and severe collisions by 2050. So there's a specific goal and a specific date to achieve that goal. Second, utilize multifaceted approach spanning jurisdictions, using diverse strategies, including engineering, education, enforcement, and we can throw in additional E's like encouragement and evaluation, which are also important to this program. The third goal is really about focusing on vulnerable users specifically people walking, biking, children, older people, people with disabilities. Uh, many of these are people who are not in vehicles and as such are prone to more severe injuries in the event of a crash. And the last goal is to make sure that the program is equitable through our investments and programs and policies. And just a word on equity in this context, we're looking at equity in the benefits, the safety improvements, as well as equity in who's bearing the impacts if we're doing enforcement, where are we doing it? And are we uh, using equitable means for the enforcement? So the next slide, I wanna give you a little bit more about what is Vision Zero and you know, coming straight off the Vision Zero network page, Vision Zero is a strategy to eliminate all traffic fatalities and severe injuries while increasing safe, healthy, equitable mobility for all. So keep moving around, but do it safer and with no fatalities. Uh, this was first implemented in Sweden in the 90s, and Vision Zero has been successful across Europe, 
and has been gaining momentum across major American cities. I think it's even more important uh, to address in the post-pandemic era where we are seeing changes in traffic behavior, in the impacts of emerging technologies. So it's not a problem that if we left it alone would stay static, it, it potentially could get worse. So we, we need to really make efforts to go the other direction. The other question we often get is why aspire to zero? That seems so unattainable. Um, first off, some cities have succeeded. So that's reason enough. But even more importantly, setting a goal higher than zero means we're okay with some people being killed and we're not. We, we currently have an average of three uh, fatal injuries and 17 severe injuries um, in the county every year, which is clearly too much. And, and we've got 26 years in this goal to get that down to zero and hopefully well before 2050. Our next slide, please. So how are we gonna get there? Part of it is using safer systems in order to achieve safer mobility. So the left half of the slide shows you a couple of circles and the top one is system planners and policymakers prioritizing safety in our designs and policies. That's a lot of us here in this room and the things that we are doing. The, the next uh, moving down to the right is the individual road users and we need them to follow the rules and be responsible. Um, that's the education and encouragement portions of uh, Vision Zero that I mentioned. And then we look at what happens if road users make mistakes because people do sometimes make mistakes. We evaluate and uh, enforce and that we're looking at the behaviors and the consequences of those behaviors. And then through that measurement, we come back around to the policies and programs that we've got. And part of this is gonna incorporate an annual report. And we'll talk a little bit about that. The right-hand side of the slide talks about kind of a change in our thinking as we approach Vision Zero compared to some of the ways that people might've thought about things in the past. One is traffic deaths are preventable. So you're not gonna hear me talk about accidents. You're gonna hear me talk about collisions and crashes because accidents suggest we couldn't have done something about it. Every crash or collision is a result of a failure on somebody's part, um, possibly multiple people, and we need to reduce those. And so integrating human failure in our approach says not only do we wanna reduce the failures, but we wanna make sure that when those failures happen, which they sometimes will, the consequences are less. And that means preventing fatal and severe crashes. So we need to focus on the crashes that have the greatest impact that are changing people's lives in an adverse way. And you know, I've heard people talk about the concept of saving bodies, not bumpers. We're, we're not trying to eliminate all crashes. We're trying to eliminate the ones that have the greatest impact. And so that's where we focus our resources and prioritize. And a systems approach is, as we've you know, talked about some of these uh, words that start with the letter E, education, encouragement, enforcement, evaluation, engineering, the whole left side of the slide, this continuous process of improvement that we need to go through. And lastly, the idea that saving lives is not expensive because losing lives, the cost of fatalities is unacceptable. Next slide, please. So we approach all of this on a, a data-driven basis. We're looking at the, the little circle chart shows you who's involved in the severe and fatal crashes. 68% are people in cars, 18% people on bikes, 4% pedestrians in the unincorporated county. We're lower 
on pedestrian crashes because we don't have the same pedestrian density that some of the cities have. What we do have is 10% of these are motorcycle related crashes. There's some jurisdictions where the motorcycle related crashes are practically zero, um, but we have roads that people like to use on motorcycles. And we you know, have identified some of the behaviors related to that and the causes of these crashes. So the, the next stacked, or not stacked, but the bar chart there on the left side is the why. And it looks at what are the primary collision factors. And this one's a bit small. We've got a slide later that's bigger that you can probably read um, in these crashes. And understanding what are the things causing the crashes allows us to figure out what do we need to reduce to reduce the severe and fatal crashes. And then the map on the right-hand side is simply where are the crashes happening? Where are the hotspots? Where are the high injury networks? Where can we implement our prioritized efforts in order to improve things. If we look at the unincorporated county uh, over the last five years, which the local road safety plan looked at, there are 491 injury crashes. Of those, uh, or additionally 15 fatal and 84 severe. So that's 99 people killed or severely injured in five years. That's the number we wanna bring down to zero. Part of the reason that you'll see this KSI or killed or severely injured concept is those are the statistics that are most useful for us if we want to prioritize eliminating those crashes. Um, and those are the, the crashes that alter people's lives, alter the lives of the survivors as well as the victims. So our next slide, we're going to look at some of the Vision Zero priorities. And I've already talked about this, but we're gonna focus on severe and fatal crashes. We've put our resources where we wanna have the biggest effect. Um, focusing on the data and patterns, again, we kind of went over that. Who's hurt the most? Um, proportionally, people biking and walking tend to be injured more than their share of the people on the road. So uh, we also saw that motorcycles in Marin County uh, pop up on that, you know, who's hurt the most. The primary collision factors, we'll talk about that again in a moment, but unsafe speed, improper turns, and automobile right-of-way are the three leading factors. So speed's gonna come up in this conversation. Where is it happening the most? We identify a high injury network. We identify hotspots. Um, I'm gonna talk briefly for a moment here about motorcycle crashes, uh, 52 reported crashes, 40 of those are solo crashes running off the road. A lot of those are on Panoramic Highway, Lucas Valley Road, winding roads. So we, we know where the issues are and some of the things we can do to avoid those uh, with curb warning signs, high friction surfaces, a lot of different things that we can do. Next slide, please. Some of the general Vision Zero strategies are to build leadership, which I know all of you are interested in doing collaboration, accountability among transportation professionals, policymakers, public health officials, law enforcement, and community members. This is sort of a, it's up to all of us type of approach. And then using the data as we were just discussing to understand the disproportionate impact on certain populations. We know that in uh, many communities, uh, people of color are twice as likely to be severely injured or killed as pedestrians compared to other folks. And we want to prioritize and um, involve the, the community, engage them in this process so that we have more data than just the 
the sheer numbers that we get from the crash reports, there, there's more to the story. Um, and we want to manage speed to safe levels. Speed shows up in Vision Zero all the time, and we're no exception to that. And as I mentioned before, a timeline to achieve zero traffic deaths and injuries uh, brings a sense of urgency and accountability. It's not just someday we'll do this, but we will achieve a goal within a time frame. Our next slide uh, shows those collision factors again. And if we look at those three on the left, uh, unsafe speed, improper turning, and automobile right-of-way are the top three. And speed shows up as the, the number one um, in our killed and severe injuries, uh, pretty close with improper turning, but both of those are important. But speed is something where our ability to manage it has been changing. Um, next slide, please. The other reason that speed matters is the impact that it has. Um, at 20 miles an hour, nine out of 10 pedestrians will survive being hit by a car. At 30, that drops to half of them. By the time you get to 40 miles an hour, an impact is, you know, one out of 10 pedestrians is gonna survive that. So getting that speed down makes a big difference in the, the degree of injury that occurs. And it's not just for pedestrians, but for passengers and cars as well, for people on bikes and motorcycles. The other thing that we'll do that's not shown on this chart is it gives people more reaction time, reduces the likelihood of those crashes. So speed's important. Our next slide. Some of the tools that we have available to us to reduce speed are legislative changes that have gone through and some that are pending. Assembly Bill 43, as many of you have heard of, um, is going into effect all of its elements uh, in July and that will allow us to reduce by five mile an hour speed limits in safety corridors and business activity districts. Assembly Bill 1938 is something that was adopted after AB 43 that further clarifies uh, how to calculate speed limits. Among other things, it mentions that when you measure an 85th percentile speed, all the different tools that we have to reduce that speed limit down, we can only reduce a maximum of 12 and a half miles an hour. On the other hand, vehicle code section 22358.4 is reduced speed limit in school zones, a tool that we have had and that we can begin to implement more aggressively. And this is something that by ordinance, we can set speed limits of 15 or 20 miles an hour. The default in school zones is already 25. We can post that, but you as a board can declare a lower speed limit. And that's something that I think we can roll out um, at different schools as we proceed and pair that with enforcement so that we maximize the benefit. It, it's something that I will share from past experience. If we just do it at all the schools at once, we're not gonna be able to cover the enforcement, the education, those components of it versus rolling it out progressively, incrementally, and we can use the Vision Zero data to tell us where to start. In addition to the legislative changes, roadway design is something that uh, we can use. Narrower traffic lanes is something surprisingly simple that can lead to lower traffic speeds. Traffic calming where appropriate. Obviously, we need to avoid impacts to transit and emergency service responses, but there are roads where there are definitely some traffic calming opportunities, and we'll try to identify those. That could be something like speed humps, which, like I say, for transit and emergency vehicles is more challenging or speed feedback signs, which does not impact them, but does encourage better adherence to the speed limits. 
Uh, next slide, please. So the local road safety plan, section 18.7, lays out some specific next steps for us. And one of those is to have basically a champion for the program for Vision Zero. And the Department of Public Works Transportation Division is eager and anxious to take that role and lead us through this process, work with the other stakeholders, and, and develop a Vision Zero action plan that will really help us to implement all of these things that we're talking about. And we're looking to have that action plan uh, in place by 2025. It is a process to go through. Doesn't mean we're not gonna do anything in the meantime, but it will improve our ability to deliver. We're going to further define each of the recommendations of the local road safety plan into discrete programs or projects with specific scope and timeframe. So what's short-term, what's medium-term, what's long-term. And that's gonna tie to the next thing, which is allocating funding. Do we have funding to do that short-term thing now? Are we looking for a grant for the medium term? For the long term, are we looking for design grants before we go to even the, the funding for the construction? All of those are going to be part of the future budget conversation that will come out of the Vision Zero Action Plan. Our next slide. Additionally, new programs. The Vision Zero Action Plan is going to coordinate uh, amongst agencies, not just public works, but other departments within the county, other jurisdictions where we interface with them on projects, programs, and policies. Uh, the Federal Highway Administration, Department of Transportation has eight specific components of an action plan, many of which are kind of covered by the local road safety plan, but I think we will enhance these through the Vision Zero uh, leadership and goal setting, a planning structure. So we may set up additional committees or task forces to work on this. Safety analysis, things like identifying that high injury network and uh, following the data. Encouragement, engagement and collaboration, working with the community, something that we would generally try to do anyway. Equity, uh, focusing on underserved communities. Our policy and process changes, which is exactly what we've been talking about. And our strategies and project selection. If we want to target the severe and fatal injuries, which projects are we putting foremost? And then progress and transparency tracking basically means there'll be an annual report that will tell you what progress are we making and we'll publish it on the website so everyone can see what's been done and what we're uh, achieving. Um, additionally, um, daylighting of crosswalks, which is the, the new state law uh, under Assembly Bill 413 prohibits parking within 20 feet on the approach to a crosswalk, whether or not we do anything. Uh, Right now, it is in the warning phase, uh, January 2025. They'll be able to actually issue citations. But we expect for our staff to work with law enforcement to identify where the problem spots are. And they may very well ask us to post signs or red curb. And because that's already part of state law, we will be able to just go ahead and do that. So I just want to let you know that we will work through uh, our partnership with law enforcement to implement that. Um, and if you have any questions, we'll certainly uh, keep you in the loop, but we don't necessarily need to come to the board for these signs or red curbs as we would with any others because the state law establishes that. Um, and then implementing a policy to adjust the speed limits per legislation. I, I talked about several different laws that have gone into effect that allow us to set speed limits and we'll want to come back to you to formally adopt a process and policy to prioritize those. Um, and it may be school zones become number one, business activity districts or something that we can do as well. And that takes 
some segment of our existing roads off the table as having been dealt with before we even get to the safety corridors because safety corridors are, dealt, are limited to 20% of our roads. So let's not waste that on something that already has coverage through another program. And then we'll give you the annual updates and, and say, you know, what are we gonna do next? Which corridors need to have their speed addressed next? Um, so the, the last slide then, um, our next slide, please. It's our short-term projects. And we talked about seeking grants, College Avenue from Sir Francis Drake to Woodland is one that we're looking for uh, some grant funding to uh, establish the designs there, uh, possibly a hawk signal for the uh, Corte Madera Creek path crossing. Uh, so that's gonna be through the Safe Streets for All grant applications we're submitting uh, April 4th. There's two more rounds of application for that uh, May 16th and August 29th, which is good because it means if we, for some reason, are not successful on the April 4th application, we get to revise and resubmit in the same cycle. So that's good news for us. The Four Corners intersection, we currently have our 95% design plans done. We're working on the specifications, getting ready to put that out to bid as soon as we uh, identify the proper funding source for the construction phase. Um, and in general, we are putting together a package of Highway Safety Improvement Program or HSIP grant applications. That tends to be for our smaller projects, speed feedback signs and the like that uh, we have accumulated requests for. And I think that as we proceed, we'll be better prioritizing those under the, the Vision Zero Action Plan. So in closing, uh, we are asking the board to adopt the resolution, uh, adopting the 2024 Marin County countywide LRSP and adopting chapter 18 as our unincorporated county specific local road safety plan. And with that, I'm happy to answer any questions you might have. Thank you so much for the presentation. Questions, Supervisor Patrick? Yeah, Bree, can you talk about like it, how, how the county's work intersects, intersects with TAM? So mm -hmm. were we you know, the, going out for an RFP, engaging with stakeholders, um, can those be done jointly or together? You know, knowing that each of the other jurisdictions are also being asked to adopt this, what can, where can we find efficiencies and where can we? Right, in, in speaking with TAM staff, they, they've already talked about taking uh, actions similar to this to the other jurisdictions. And so they may borrow some of what we put together just as we borrowed a lot of what they put together. Uh, but yes, definitely coordination with the other communities at a minimum is something that our action plan would need to have. Um, whether that action plan links us to them every year on the annual updates, that's probably not where we wanna go. Each jurisdiction may have slightly different uh, focus. San Rafael is gonna to wanna to focus a lot more on pedestrian safety uh, solutions than we are because the higher proportion of their injuries are happening there. But in the, the transitions between unincorporated county and the, the, the cities, we definitely need to do some coordination there. But as right now, without making this an even bigger process, we're probably going to make the primary focus be the unincorporated county for the action plan. So like Lucas Valley Road, you mentioned is in parts half San, San Rafael and half county. I mean, I'm even just looking at like, does it make sense to have if you go out for an RFP to have the same, if it's a consultant to have the same potentially or offer the same consultant 
I just think if we're not specific about how we coordinate and kind of say, mm -hmm. I mean, I know San Rafael may not have as much staff right now. So if right. they're two months behind us, do they end up starting from scratch? And I, I just hope that with Tam mm -hmm. and the leadership, we can really be coordinating and be yeah. partners rather than kind of everybody off on their own. Understood. And we're, we're happy to, to do that and work with them. Um, we haven't issued a contract yet, so there's opportunity uh, to, to refine if we need to. Great. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the presentation, Freddie. It's exciting. I know this is also something that our director, Gaglione, has wanted to bring forward to personally, so that's great. So building on what uh, Supervisor Sackett just asked, uh, I know all of us on the dais have been involved with Safe Routes to School programs for quite some time, and the five E's are very recognizable to us through that program. I know you have worked on that, uh, Safe Routes as well. So th that's what I wanted to understand, is how do we build on the culture around the schools and the parent community that Safe Routes has been building for over 20 years and, and build on that with this effort, which is very related. Um, and, and then I'm gonna bring in the fact that um, the unincorporated areas uh, need this attention in particular, uh, and we know this from the work you've been doing at Strawberry Point School where uh, frankly, they hadn't gotten as much attention as the schools in, in the city districts. So, um, yeah, how do, you, how do you see that sort of collaboration and partnership and in, in building on the momentum that we have uh, already with Safe Routes? I think that incorporating them in a number of ways, the, the Safe Routes organization, you know, and, and parent groups with each of the schools, we can certainly talk to them about what's in our toolbox and the, the school zone speed limits and saying, hey, these are the, the streets adjacent to schools that qualify for a school zone speed limit reduction and work with them you know, to make sure they're fully on board. Because part of the, the encouragement is, is if you get all the parents on board with driving the new speed limit, you're more likely to get other people driving that new speed limit. If, if no one is, if they're seeing everyone else continue to speed, it'll be less effective. So engaging them in that, engaging them in a potential community advisory committee through the uh, action plan. Those are things that we can do. Uh, so Safe Routes to School is a great program. I think we, we just coordinate with them and uh, kind of bring them in the conversation. Yeah, I think um, I, that's great to hear. And they certainly, you know, most of us will do anything for our kids. So with we, when we lead with the kids in the schools, I think the rest of the community jumps on board with changing their own behaviors. That's what we want to create across Marin as a culture of safety and community concern. And then just a, a quick detailed follow-up question, but in your list of next steps and probable projects, you had a, a bucket for all smaller uh, safety projects. And is that where the strawberry sort of quick build improvements might go, the creating walking spaces uh, where we need them, things like that? Paint. Yes, that's that's about the scale of things that could be HSIP, Highway Safety Improvement Program, um, could be through active transportation plan, safe routes to school grants. Uh, we're not going to limit ourselves, but the first opportunity that comes up is what we're going to apply for. And if we're not successful there, we'll, we'll chase the other ones. Yeah, I'm I'm feeling pressure to show results in my unincorporated yeah. communities. No, we we are we are definitely looking to move forward on that one. Um, 
we uh, engaged parametrics to help us with the uh, design for that uh, sidewalk improvement project uh, next to Strawberry School or close to it. Uh, so that will be moving ahead with something concrete that we can take to the community and say, here's a proposal or maybe a couple of alternatives and, and figure that out so that we can implement it. Thank you. Looking forward to this. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Wright. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this and um, uh, appreciate also um, you're sort of talking about the strategy and especially in terms of taking advantage of the new tools um, that legisl state legislation is giving to us and making sure to sort of maximize what it offers as opposed to not being smart, for instance, and using one tool and we could have used another and then we've lost that mile or whatever of traffic calming. Um, I think that, and, and I appreciate also your patient approach to this. We're sort of unwinding over time the development of cities and towns that was all built around. It was so car-centric so it's partly infrastructure. It's, it's infrastructure we're dealing with, but it's also uh, behavior. And I do think, I, I sense that people understand better their responsibility as car drivers over time that it's becoming, folks are more aware. Um, and I, but I do, it's, it's an ongoing process and it takes both, both the infrastructure and the education and the enforcement to a degree. I just wanna um, piggyback on, Sen on Senator, on Supervisor Moulton Peters. Uh, comments with regards to safe routes to schools um, in this in this way. Not all schools have an active safe routes program, not all mm -hmm. school districts. And I think it's probably incumbent on us in those unincorporated areas to step up and, and engage um, you all um, in because they've got they, they've got people biking and walking, but not necessarily as much of an organized program. And so I think we have to be really cognizant of that as staff. Uh, and then um, I just want to underscore also the degree, and I know it's you're a very small department, having staff participate in safe routes and be engaged uh, really helps in the larger public, uh, those who are engaged in an issue, understanding what tools we have and what tools we don't and why we can do some things some places and not others. And so I, I feel like it really aids in cooperation and frankly then in the picking up the ball at the community level on the education side. That's where Safe Routes is so great. But um, this is all the direction we wanna we want to head. So thank you. That's great. And I really appreciate the, the comment about the schools that don't have a Safe Routes to School program. If we look at the data and it says, this isn't a hotspot, this is a high injury you know, network segment, we're gonna go straight to the principal and say, hey, you know, we, we see an issue here and maybe, you know, you've got parents or families who have not been able to be as engaged, haven't had that opportunity. And this is an equity approach mm -hmm. of where the data can drive us moving forward and prioritizing something. So I, I think I, I definitely would like to pursue that uh, because it addresses the, the issue that you've raised. Yep. Thank you. Uh, sorry if I might, you know, in some of our um, disadvantaged communities, part of why they don't have safe routes is they don't have an available parent volunteer corps because they're all working. And so safe routes has had to um, capacity build and provide uh, support through, through staffing to make that happen. But just a side note on what you may find. Great, Supervisor Lupin. Afrid, thanks for the presentation. Uh, one of the next steps, the implementation policy for the uh, AB 43, um, 
rough thoughts on on timing of that. I know I've, in, in District Five, I have one community that is uh, very interested in um, moving their road forward uh, when that when that's available. Yeah, it's a great question. The kind of historical, well, for me, it feels historical. The last few years, we've kind of waiting for you know this June to roll around, which is when the state's supposed to set up you know or release their policy on how to implement these. Um, so I, I think our goal is as staff to try to come back with a policy before June um, that says, Here, here's our strategy. And it doesn't have to tie our hands, but it's gonna help to say, this is what we're prioritizing, why, and a little bit of what I you know, kind of mentioned here, but formalized um, so that we can all be on the same page going forward and know that you know, we are following the, the guidance that you as the board would like us to follow um, in prioritizing these. So yeah, the, the goals come back before June because the implementation would essentially be starting as early as July. And we know that we can't, you know, go and change the speed limits on a third of the county roads overnight. It, it's gonna need a rollout, which is why it's important for us to come to you before so that we can start the rollout, you know, as soon as possible after July 1st. Sounds, sounds good. Maybe just a, a thought around that is, um, you know, it could take a lot of time to develop really good policy, but you don't want that to slow down um, being able to get some roads into the mix. So maybe a small pilot um, with a couple of roads across the county just to get something started, see how it works, uh, engage the community. It might, might be one way to kind of, you know, walk before we run with that. Um, so just something to suggest. Thank you. Sure. <clears throat> Thank you for the presentation. I was wondering if CHP has been involved in some of these discussions because I think they play an important role, especially reminding me of the motorcycle incidents out in West Marin. They've been working with Caltrans actually to try and make improvements around signage and curves and things. So uh, hopefully they can be engaged at some point because uh, I think they play an important role, obviously mm -hmm. on the enforcement side also. Then um, I, I don't think I heard this, but maybe you did say it about the budget for this. Is this all gonna be grant funded or how, how will the budget process work? There are definitely are opportunities to grant fund some of this. Um, if I didn't feel, you know, as impatient as I do about the action plan, I'd probably be pursuing grant funds for that. But the the implementation of all these things is going to be grant eligible. So that's going to be our first stop, is to try to capture as many grants as we can for that implementation. Terrific. Anything else? All right. I think we can go to the public now for public comment on this item. Al, anyone in on Zoom? Yes, we have Wells, please unmute. Hi, this is Warren Wells from the Marin County Bicycle Coalition. Um, I, I just want to say, I, I can't say how much I appreciate this uh, presentation from Mr. Javendel, who, who clearly and compellingly laid out the importance of this effort. You know, there's often um, an attitude of resignation and, and powerlessness when facing the, the public health crisis of traffic injuries. You know, I, we realize it's a big issue, but it's one we can fix. Every single serious fatal crash that we can avoid is an entire life saved or, or meaningfully altered. And the key thing to understand, and I, I heard this from the board, Nick, and I just, I just want to drive this home for anyone listening, is that our roads are not working right now. In 2022 alone, unincorporated Marin saw eight people killed in car crashes and 37 seriously injured, meaning life-altering consequences. Those That's not even counting state-owned roads. You know, No doubt many of the crashes involved people, you know, the people in person injured was in part responsible. But the idea behind Vision Zero is that our roads need to fail safe. We'll never escape the fact that humans make mistakes, 
but we can try to ensure that when those mistakes happen, no one dies. If the railing on the Golden Gate Bridge was only three feet high, the solution wouldn't be to post signs, it would be to raise the railing. Speed humps, narrowed lanes, lanes, refuge islands, and physical separation for walkers and riders, that's raising the railing. When we reduce the ability to illegally speed and push drivers to travel more slowly around our children and in our business districts, that'll result in more biking and walking and running, and the walking and running that happens will be safer and more pleasant, improving our traffic, our air, and our quality of life. Thank you so much for your time, and I really appreciate the hard work on this. Thank you. Anyone in the chamber wish to speak on this item? Yes, welcome. Okay, thanks. Uh, Sarah Jones, Director of the Community Development Agency. Uh, this is a hard topic to talk about and to hear about. Uh, first, I want to start by thanking the Department of Public Works. I want to thank your board and I want to thank Tam for bringing this incredibly important item forward. And CDA is here to support in any way through the next steps uh, in implementing the local road safety plan. Um, but this plan is about a health crisis in the US. Last year, nearly 40,000 people in this country died as a result of vehicle collisions, almost as many as died from guns. And these are overwhelmingly avoidable tragedies. Uh, this is also an issue that touched our county family in the last couple of weeks uh, when a former employee, Julia Elkin, was hit by a driver in, the, in an East Bay city while she was crossing a street in a crosswalk, and she did not survive her injuries. Julia, for those who didn't know her, was a sea level rise planner who worked in CDA and then in pub public works. She brought extraordinary light, positivity, and skill to her work and to her life, and her loss is an unspeakable tragedy to her family and to her friends. But it's also a loss for all of us who worked with her or who were touched by her work as her efforts to serve were so suddenly and prematurely ended. And you can see three department heads uh, in this room who worked directly uh, and extensively with Julia and were just the faces of the many, many people at the county who did. Um, I'm raising this because I believe it illustrates the meaning and the purpose of your board's action today. Preventing deaths on the roads warrants the highest level of commitment everywhere, including here in Marin. Julia is only one of around 40,000 people whose life will be cut short due to a vehicle crash this year. All communities, including Marin County, must do the work it takes to bring this terrible number down. On behalf of all of us who had the great privilege of knowing and working with Julia, or who have been touched by a similar tragedy, I thank your board for considering this item today. If you save one life with this, you will be saving the world. Thank you. Can I bring you back to staff for any further comments? Um, I appreciate everything that the, the board has uh, asked about or commented about, and certainly we will take that into consideration as we move forward and look forward to coming back to you with more action items to implement these improvements. Very good. It looks like we're looking for a uh, motion to receive the report and approve the resolution. Um, I will um, move to receive the report and uh, approve the resolution. Second that. Then moved and second that we do this action. All those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? That motion is carried. Thank you so much. Thank you. We're going to recess as the Marin County Board of Supervisors and reconvene as Marin County Open Space District Board of Directors.
Welcome back. Chris joining you today or is okay. So item 12 is uh, 12A is open time for public expression for items not on the agenda of the open space district. I'll first take speakers online and in the chamber. Al, anyone online? And I see no one in the chamber. Uh, so we're going to move on now to the approval of the minutes. Any public comment on the minutes, Al? There are no speakers in the chair. No one in the chamber. Like a motion on the minutes of January 23rd, I'll move 2024. I'll move those minutes second. Then moved and second. We approve the minutes of the Open Space District of January 23rd, 2024. All those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? That motion is carried. Board of Directors matters. Any Board of Directors matters today? Seeing none, we're going to go to the general manager's report. See, I'll keep it uh, relatively brief. Max Corton, general manager, Marin County Open Space District. Uh, a number of our team members attended a conference last week uh, hosted by the Federated Indians of Great and Rancheria and um, sponsored by uh, UC Berkeley and the California Biodiversity Network about co-management of public lands with uh, Native American tribes and uh, public land managers. And it was a really great opportunity to connect with our partners at the Federated Indians of Great and Rancheria and other uh, indigenous tribes and public land managers that are co-managing land um, throughout the region, the state, the country, and even abroad. There were folks from uh, the Yucatan and Canada and uh, uh, all over the place uh, sharing their experiences and successes. And so I think, you know, this is really um, an effort that is uh, uh, increasingly um, something that that uh, public land managers and tribes are interested in exploring and that the model can look different for everyone. I think it's something that we're interested in exploring how we can deepen our partnership with our local tribal partners and, um, and be able to work together for some really exciting uh, uh, progress in that way. Um, additionally, we had a really, on a smaller scale, we had a really great volunteer day at Stafford Lake Bike Park. Uh, we had 40 high school students from our local uh, mountain bike teams at uh, Novato High Schools, as well as uh, Terra Linda High School. And um, they, uh, they did a ton of work. It was just, it was really exciting and beautiful day out there. And then lastly, I just want to report we did had really interesting bathymetric survey of uh, the McNears Pier where we had a boat hit the pier recently. And uh, it's like this really, you know, amazing uh, visualization of what's under there. And the entire boat is under the pier. We weren't sure if it was a chunk of it or how much, but there is an entire boat down there. So we're getting a sense of how uh, expensive that project's going to be. Yeah. And in fact, we found at least one other boat under the pier, as well as some chunks of maybe additional vessels. So um, it's kind of like, a, um, a, I don't know, a history project. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that concludes my report. Very good. Any questions for general manager? No. Public comment on this item, item 12, general manager's report. Al? And I don't see anyone in the chamber, so we'll move to the consent calendar items 12D through 12F are on the consent calendar for open space district. Any public comment on the consent calendar, Al? There are no speakers in the queue. 
There's no speakers in the chamber. Uh, can I get a motion on the consent calendar, please? Second. Been moved and second. We approve the consent calendar. All those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Motion is carried. Thank you. Thank you. So we're going to adjourn as the Marin County Open Space District Board of Directors and convene as the Marin County Flood Control and Water Conservation Board of Supervisors. Welcome. 13A is open time for public expression for items not on the Flood Control Board's agenda, but within the subject jurisdiction of the Flood Control District. First take commenters online, Al. I see no one in the chamber. So we'll move on to the minutes of January 23rd and February 6th. And I have public comment on the minutes, please. Anyone online? There are no speakers in the queue. And no one in the chamber. I'd like a motion to approve the minutes, please. Second. Second. Thank you. We have a motion and a second to approve the minutes, January 23rd, February 6th. All those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? That motion is carried. Uh, board of Supervisors matters. Anyone on the board have any comments today? Um, I think we have our manager's report here too, but I don't show it on my agenda. Do you have a report today? I, I have a couple small things to say. Okay. We continue meeting with the advisory boards to go over budgets. Uh, we met with Zone 9 last night. We um, are going to meet with... Um, CSA 13 tonight, and um, that's for Las Galinas Creek dredge. And um, we will be meeting with, it's not an advisory board, but um, Marin City CSD on Wednesday night. And um, and we did have, uh, we did make it through another big atmospheric river over President's Day weekend. We did not have, have as many problems or that storm as we did the prior storm. Although we had a little bit of excitement in the Ross Valley, we had a large tree go down on one of our properties at 49 Sir Francis Drake. It was a four-foot heritage oak that was on our property, and it fell across the creek. It took. It came down Sunday night, and it took until Tuesday morning. You know, working. You know, pretty much straight through to get it all the way out of the creek. Um, but it was a good thing to get it out of the creek because it could have caused a lot of problems. Um, and we had our cardinal ditch pumping at high tides throughout the event too. No problems were reported. So that's it. Thank you. Any questions of the manager? Just, I think tonight CSA 6, not oh, CSA, CSA 13. Sorry. Very good. Anyone else? <laughs> right. Any uh, public comment on 13 C? Okay, and I have none in the chamber, so. Thank you. We're going to move on to 13D, which is the consent calendar of Marin County Flood Control District. And there are one item, 13D, and I'm ready to uh, go to public comment on that, Al. There are no speakers in the queue, sir. Any board members have any questions about that consent item? Seeing none, can I have a motion, please? I am happy to move the adoption of 13D, can, just giving more time to this project, not increasing the cost. Thank you. Second. Been moved and second. We approve uh, the consent item on the flood district. All those in favor? Aye. Say aye. aye. Opposed? That motion is carried. 
And now we can adjourn as the Union County Flight Control and Water Conservation District Board of Supervisors. And we won't return until March 5th next week at nine o'clock. Thank you all. Meetings adjourned.